listening to Soul Knox Podcast. I'm your host, Carl Hikera, and this is episode number 85. And um, this this uh, week on the podcast, um, my good friend Void from uh, Nihilus and Gravier is making his return, uh, continuing our series of getting into some of our favorite black metal albums of all time. And this time we discuss... Uh, Bathory's The Return of Darkness and Evil. And uh, that is what we're talking about. Uh, we just talk about the album, uh, song by song, go throughout all of it, and uh, discuss the music and the lyrics and, and what we know about the album. Uh, unfortunately, the uh, um, old Bathory website that had uh, all the long stuff that Quarthon wrote is no longer on the internet, although I did see somebody had pulled it up on archive.org uh, for under the sign of black mark, so uh, I didn't see that until after we did this episode, but I guess that's one way you could try to find that. But, you know, I can't try to go go over from memory some of the stuff I read in that and um, other things I know about the album and recording of it and, uh, yeah, we just talked about the album as a whole and then we kind of spiral off and discuss other topics, particularly relating to black metal, as we go on and the second half of the episode. So, yeah, it's a cool episode, always fun, always enjoy talking to, to Void, and uh, our, uh, we'll be doing uh, doing another one here in the near future. Um, so, yeah, always a pleasure. And uh, I really enjoyed discussing one of my favorite black metal albums of all time. So... You know, it was a lot of fun. And um, so that's what's going on this week. Um, Had a little, uh, some difficulties. Should be getting out the Phantoms episode here soon. Um, But uh, yeah, just had to reset structure a little bit. And uh, yeah, with my work, uh, finding it a little, my work's pretty busy. Finding it hard to uh, work up the the will to (laughs) edit the two, two weeks. But uh, the rest of the month, we should try to continue my uh, two episodes a week uh, direction of things. And so, yeah, you can look forward to that. Uh, The next episode is going to be part one of a series I'm doing with my friend Chris Niffel. um, All about uh, orthodox black metal. So we've recorded one episode so far. We have at least one more to do, if not more. And so, uh, yeah really cool conversation discussing orthodox black metal movement from the early 2000s late 90s early 2000s and uh so that's going to come up later on this week um but yeah so i'm going to get into the uh the the plug-in the plugs plug-ins the plugs for this week and uh as always if anybody listens knows that i'm part of a gang of podcasters called the horsemen of the podcast apocalypse which is, of course, every other Monday, uh, Horror Wolf 666 with Brandon Legion. And Brandon and I just recorded an episode that's going to be on Horror Wolf uh, in the next few weeks before Christmas, which is all about our top five uh, winter-slash-holiday horror movies, the stuff that we go to this time of year. It was a really cool conversation, cool list of movies that we both picked, and, uh, yeah, look forward to that. Um, Tuesdays, you have Into the Necrosphere of Jackie Schmidt, which is, of course, the best metal podcast out there. 
Uh, Wednesdays, you have Everything Went Black with Mike Hill. Um, Mike and I do our series called uh, Darkness Weaves, uh, going through the work of Carl Edward Wagner, which is, of course, split between the two podcasts. And um, the, uh, what was I going to say? Um, the, uh, uh, we have a new episode coming out, of course, later on this month um, with, uh, with, uh, with that. That'll be on Everything Went Black. On Thursdays, you have Necromaniacs with uh, Mike Hill, Mike Scandato, and Jeff Kashid. On Fridays, you have uh, Spitball Media, formerly known as Break the Apocalypse. And in inter- intermediate times, whenever he has an episode, you have Iblis Manifestations with Cheyenne of Trivax. And, uh, and then as well, not a horseman, but a uh, associate of mine, we have Mycelium Signal with Constantine Tonhovi. Uh, check that that one out as well. Um, and uh, yeah, please follow everybody on social media. Uh, follow everybody on whatever podcast platform you're using. And uh, spread the word, spread the disease, so to say. And you can find me on social media, on Instagram, at either my name or at Denver Underground Radio, which is the online radio station I run. Uh, we have shows every Tuesday and Thursday live. Tune in at DenverUndergroundRadio.com And the shows start at 9pm Mountain Standard Time, 11pm Eastern Standard Time And you can go on the website, get more information And then, uh, yeah, you can follow us on Instagram And see all the uh, playlists that we do um, All the stuff about the podcast And then also links to all of the Spotify playlists as well So yeah, check all that out um, And then finally, I have a Patreon at Patreon.com forward slash Podcast. $2 a month, and you can help uh, keep the podcast going and support and uh, get two to four bonus episodes a month. So, yeah, so um, if you feel so inclined to be generous and help support a podcast, you can go on there. And uh, anybody who signs up will get a special mention here. And uh, so, yeah, so I think that's all the, the plugs. We're going to get into the episode, and I hope you guys enjoy. And hail Satan.
All right. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me back. It's always, always, a, always, a, always a pleasure. Yeah, definitely. Always a pleasure having you on. <clears throat> you know, we just, our last episode was under Funeral Moon. So we're going to continue on with our uh, album ep- episode. So, um, this The time, return. Yeah, this time we're covering The Return of Darkness and Evil by Bathory. So... The, uh, you know, you know that I've been saying this wrong. So here's something that I don't understand. Is it the return of the darkness and evil or return of the, of darkness and evil? Honestly, I, honestly, <laughs> I always thought it was the return of darkness and evil. But when you actually look at the cover, it does say the return of the darkness and evil. And honestly, I've, <laughs> I've been listening to this album for 30 years and I never picked up on that. Hey. <laughs> I literally just picked that up today. I just realized oh, wow. that. I just realized that tonight. I've always thought it was the return of darkness and evil, and on and on yeah. Spotify it shows that for the song, the song is the return of darkness and evil, but the album is the return of the darkness and evil. So it makes it even exactly. More so it does. I feel like I feel like most people refer to it as return of darkness and evil, but I guess that's not entirely correct. Ah <laughs> uh, oh, well, we'll just go with the return. That way, no one's wrong. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of funny, isn't it? Like that, it's kind of. I was actually going to mention that because I had exactly the same experience because I started to uh, started to do a bit of background reading and whatnot on Wikipedia and stuff just to get some I don't know interesting tidbits of information, which I didn't really find any. But yeah, I had the exact same thing, and I think, wow, all this time I thought it was just the return of darkness and evil. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of it's kind of funny, isn't it? Yeah, I'd be interested to see how many other people have had the same experience. To be honest, yeah, it would be. I would definitely be interested if, um, if like um, anyone else had that experience where they're like they thought that it, it said that. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. The um, yeah, I wish that. So I was trying to look and see that. It looks like um, back in the day, uh, the Bathory official website, you know, had like, ton, you know, Quarthon wrote all these like articles about each album. You know what I mean? Which mm-hmm. I read, you know, multiple times. Okay. But uh, but I don't think that site exists anymore. And I, I think all those things yeah. were in that box set that they did after he died. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think Chuck Keller, Keller from Order from Chaos, like kind of like um, made it, you know, kind of was like the editor for that, if I remember correctly. Ah, oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't have that box set, and all nah. that all that writing is like disappeared off the internet. From what I could, I probably have to yeah. use like the Wayback Machine or something to find it, you know. Yeah. Unfortunately, but uh, I have to go. So I was kind of refresh my memory on the stuff that he wrote about this album, but I'll have to. I'll just have to go off a memory from reading it 10 years ago, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah. Over 10 years ago. How long has it been since Quarthon passed away? It's been like 20 years or more, maybe. I think he passed away in um, 2004, right? Yeah, so close to 20 years. Yeah, 29 years. He probably wasn't, yeah, he was probably younger than we actually thought, too. Yeah, I think... um, let me see. 
I believe uh, his birthday was in February 17th, 1966. Okay. His birthday is like two days before mine, actually. But uh, so, I mean, as far as like the date itself, but not the year, obviously. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, so he was, he wasn't even, he was like, what? Um, math is not my strong suit, but I mean, 1966 to 2004 is uh, it's like 38. Yeah, he was only like 38. Was, that's crazy. I was just thinking about this. He wasn't even 40. Yeah, that's crazy. That's really crazy. Like, mm. yeah, it's that that um, you know, death death can strike you at any point. Uh, but yeah, it's too, bad. it's too bad for Quartham because I mean, you know, he had that period in the 90s that wasn't very good, but then he did the Nordland albums, you know, which are really good. Mm. And uh, I guess he was doing working on a concept album about Countess Bathory when he died. So, oh, really? Yeah, yeah okay. It's too bad because I guess he was, he was going to try to make it a little bit more old school black metal sound as well and be about mm. Bathory. And I would, I would like to hear that. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. There, there's probably an alternate reality where Quarthon does not die and does make that album, you know? <laughs> Hopefully in that same alternate reality, Cliff Burton didn't get on that bus. <laughs> yeah, or that bus, that bus didn't, yeah. And then Metallica would have been good for longer, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully. <laughs> But yeah, the but yeah, so but we're going back to the return, which of course is the second album from Bathory, nineteen eighty-five. So yep. that, that's going to be uh, meaning that album. That album's turning forty in two years, which is crazy, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. And uh, yeah, I know we were, we were kind of like originally going to do under the sign of the black mark, but then we decided to do this one instead, which is, you know, I was cool to do either one, you know? Yeah, I was too, but I guess then I got caught up in the whole, the return vibe after talking about it. So I've been listening to that one more and then I said, stuff it, let's just do the return. Yeah. But I mean, under the sign of the black mark is probably still my favorite, but the returns like a very, very close second. Yeah, well, way look at us. We can always do under the sign, you know, next year sometime. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's that's also a possibility. Yeah, because I know we'll do Demisturus Thomasathanus next year for its uh, thirty the, year. Thirty year, but yeah, we can, yep. We should do under the sign as well. I'll sign the black mark. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, yeah. I feel like um, the return. I mean, obviously, so the the first Bathory album. Uh, it came out in 1984. Yep. It's crazy to think about the the amount of um, progression. So you think Bathory, the first album came in October 2nd. And then The Return came out in May 27th. So less than a year. Literally, what, about eight months or not even yeah. seven months. It's crazy to think of the progression between these two albums, you know. Yeah, you could definitely see the strong writing. Uh, sorry, the songwriting was a lot stronger on the on the return. 
I mean, Bathory is obviously a masterpiece and I love how simple and stripped back and straightforward it is, but I think um, the return obviously just showed the progression within the band. Yeah, exactly. I think that, uh, you know, obviously the first album was, you know, probably some of his first songs he was writing, you know, as a... yeah. Uh, he would have been what, like uh, 18 or something, you know, 17, yep. 18. And, um, and, and so it has that kind of rawness, that primitive strip back. Sonically, it's a little bit sharper and colder. I feel like this mm-hmm. album has a bit more of a distant feeling to it in a way than the first album, you know? Yeah, the first album's a bit more in your face. Yeah. And I believe that, um, the yeah i think this was this was recorded the interesting thing is the return was recorded at electro studio in stockholm which i think was like an actual kind of proper studio where the first album was recorded like in a gr- the same garage studio that the rest of the battery stuff would be recorded at yep um and i know that <laughs> some of the double bit kick drums on the first album are just cardboard boxes remember him saying that crazy huh. <laughs> yeah crazy. So, the um so yeah it goes to show how uh how raw you can get but um so yeah so this one is like in a recorded in a proper studio um i know that that you know quarton talked about when you first starting out you know a big influence for a lot of this stuff was obviously like eerie and vampirella and all these kinds of horror comic books like Tomb of Dracula and, you know, Hammer Horror movies. And so a lot of the, the first album is very influenced by by horror movies, right? You know, like particularly kind of satanic horror movies, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And I do think that continues on into this album and even under the sign. But I think the one development that happened around this time, from what I understand, from what he had, he, he had even said, is that he started like actually... Um, I guess exploring kind of Satanism, you know, in a more, like, a little bit more exploring like witchcraft and stuff. Like I know you said that he was like hanging out with like a witchcraft coven around the time, you know, and uh, I guess was kind of like, kind of like exploring that in a bit more serious way, you know, which I think kind of shows on the album in a lot of ways, you know. Yeah, I think it does too, actually. I mean, you get that vibe that um, he was reaching reaching out for some, you know, darker inspiration again. And you can hear the sound of it in the music because the album itself is a lot darker, I think, too. Yeah, I think so. And um, here, let me pause real quick because I wanted to find something real quick. One thing that I found out recently by reading this book called um, Lightbearers of the North, which is all about, like, uh, um, I guess you could say, like, uh, Finnish occultism, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to find the, the book that it was. So there was this Finnish occultist. And I'm trying to, yeah, see... Citoin, I guess how you pronounce it, S-I-I-T-O-I-N. And um, he was pretty, like, kind of crazy, kind of 
on the kind of like wacko side of Satanism, if you know what I mean. Yep. Uh, but uh, I'm trying to find it in, in the book. He had written a book. Yeah, it's called Musta Magio, Black Magic. Mm-hmm. And um, I had read that uh, some somewhere in the book, and trying, it says that uh, I guess like Bathory, a correspondent from Bathory, I guess had copy. It had some of this guy's books, like when he was kind of like exploring all this stuff, you know, because it's something that yeah, here it is. Um, uh, it's an interesting curiosity note that Quarthon. The now deceased mastermind behind the legendary black metal band Bathory ordered the sweetest edition of the first volume of Seatoin's Musta Magia in the early 1980s and took his artist name from Melissa Spirits presented in the book. So there you go. So there's some information. And so, so he obviously was aware of, like, this guy was, like, completely unknown in the American, you know, English-speaking world, but in the kind of Scandinavian, you know, underworld of of uh satanism and stuff in the 70s and 80s like he was somebody who people like were reading you know what i mean yeah they were obviously aware of him and um he obviously provided a fair bit of inspiration for certain people yeah and it's definitely his form of satanism is definitely on the very questionable and um kind of like a little bit extreme type of type of quality that i think would attract a lot of people in the early black middle world you know what i mean yeah, yeah, totally. Because I guess in the early eighties, the world was a different place too. You got to think about it compared to now. A lot of uh, a lot of information's readily available these days, whereas back then it would have been a lot more difficult to explore these kind of topics. Yeah, I mean, even even I think in the early two thousands. I mean, I talked with this on the podcast a few times. Like, yeah, even, even up to the early two thousands, it was hard to find good stuff about dark um you know antinomian type of spirituality you know like it could be pretty difficult i mean you're not gonna you know the best you're gonna do here in the states would be to find you know satanic bible you know yeah simon Simon necronomicon yeah i mean i mean the necronomicon is one of those books like you read it and it's sort of like it i don't know i i personally didn't really get a lot out of it myself but yeah yeah, I mean, either. But, you know, like, those are types of things that kind of out of necessity, a lot of people were kind of reading, you know, in the early in yeah. that period. And then, you know, there's some websites, like, you could find stuff from the Order of Nine Angles, like, on the internet, um, you know, a few other types of things like that. And yeah. um, and that, you know... Back, back then, though, like, in the 90s and stuff, I just had a lot of more sort of obscure books about witchcraft and occultism and stuff that were, they were, like, from the 60s and 70s and things like that as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, some of the books that, that I was kind of inspired by was, like, uh, um, Black Magic by Richard Cavendish, which I know a lot of um, mm. a lot of people were inspired by. Yep. As a whole last section of it's all about, you know, Satanism and devil worship and witchcraft all that kind yep. of stuff you know and so it's all little... conveniently lumped together <laughs> at yeah. the back of the book but yeah yeah like the the book is like everything you, you know a little like overview of all these things you know and you just find books yeah. like that like just like bits and pieces of information and particularly yep. from stuff from the 60s and 70s when that and maybe you know early 80s so 
Yeah. So I'd imagine if we were in Scandinavia at that time, this C. Twain's guy, you know, like would be one of those books that you'd buy, like kind of like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. So I guess, you know, he had to get his inspiration for the occult from somewhere and that was where it came from. So, you know, I guess we can always thank him for providing that inspiration because we've got these fabulous albums that we're still enjoying to this day. Exactly, yeah. If you got, you know, Corthon got his name from that from that from that book and everything. The um the one uh the one controversy a lot of people bring up with early Bathory two is so Corthon himself says that he didn't hear Venom until after the first album came out. Mm-hmm. When he was working on the return, mostly because people were comparing the album to Venom. Yep. And there's other people who obviously seem to think that's not true and seem to basically say that Quarthen is just ripping off Venom and even down to song titles and stuff. Personally, mm-hmm. I don't, I'm going to, I personally take Quarthen at, at what he says, like, cause, cause when he has ripped off bands like Manowar, he's admitted to that, you know? Mm-hmm. I think got, he was more, I think his favorite band was Kiss actually. I'm pretty yeah. sure. Like he always talks about that kiss and motorhead and black Sabbath. Yeah, exactly. And punk. I can, stuff. I can definitely hear the motorhead influence, especially on the, the um self titled album. You can hear that that just the rhythm and the the beats they use has a bit of a real motorhead vibe, I think. Yeah. And I think that for a lot of people it's just easier for them to believe that Quarathon was ripping off song titles and stuff from Venom than to actually just realize that sometimes things like that happen, you know, like, yeah, I don't think that I don't, I don't personally think that, that I don't, I mean, I just don't think that Quarthen is ripping off Venom because like, you know, and if he was, he was doing it better. Cause I think that everything, everything Quarthen has done is far superior to anything Venom has done, you know? <laughs> yeah. I really liked early Venom myself, but I, that was one of the first bands I got into when I first got into um, listening to heavy metal in the mid eighties, Venom were still a very relevant band at the time. And, you know, I, I enjoyed their first four albums anyway. After that, it went, went a bit shit, but, um, I really enjoy Black Metal and Welcome to Hell. Yeah, I mean they're good albums. I just always look at yeah. the difference. If you look, hold Black Metal up to the Return, oh yeah, you know what I, I mean? think I, I'd agree. Yeah, like Bathory's uh, Bathory's certainly the superior band for me too. Yeah, I think I think you know I like I do like Ven- Old Venom, but I'm just saying that like for me like Bathory is is. I mean, basically, Bathory created the sound of modern black metal. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Especially, you, you can hear it on a, um, under the sign of the black mark. It doesn't sound like the second wave Norwegian stuff. It's almost a you know, very similar sound. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, you know, I think the return, in particular under the sign, sounds like it could have been made yesterday, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. Maybe the drumming on the return could have been a little bit better, but that'd be. I mean, now I'm so used to hearing those um, awkward beats in a few spots that if it was perfect, it wouldn't sound right. Yeah, yeah, I know. For a lot of people, like uh, <clears throat> their first experience hearing the return is kind of like, "What the fuck is this noise?" And the drums sound off, and you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I know somebody told me that. Like, what was your like? Did you hear? Bathory back in the 80s or was it like uh did it come a little bit later 
Um, I knew of them in the late 80s, but I hadn't really heard heard them as much because it was sort of difficult to obtain albums and stuff like that. And I was pretty young too, so I didn't really have a lot of disposable income to go out and purchase records every couple of weeks or anything like that. So it was more relying on, you know, taping tapes off friends and things like that, especially when you're only 11 or 12, you know. So I hadn't really got a chance to hear them until the early 90s. Right. Did you hear them through uh, through friends, like through tape trading, or was it like... Uh... Actually, I think it was on... The, I really enjoyed the Speed Kills um, compilations. I already had Speed Kills 1, but Bathory were on Speed Kills 2 with the song Possessed, which is obviously off this album. And, yeah, that was when I really uh, got interested in Bathory and sort of sought out their music because, yeah, I just loved how... There was like I think even on the back of the um, the compilation it said zero malady pure death or something along those lines and I was like yep that's what I want because it was obviously on there with some more kind of polished thrashier bands and things like that but the Bathory song was just pure black metal right I'm sure it stood out amongst you know a lot of that kind of thrash stuff you know yeah very much so because it was a lot more uncom oh, sorry it was a lot less compromising it sort of took no prisoners it was just straight out assault yeah and i feel like one thing that fenris has mentioned in some interviews is that um in the 80s it was like riffarama using his actual words it was, it was like it was like mm. riffarama like every band had like piled as many riffs as they could in every song you know like that was mm-hmm. like the thing with the thrash scene was kind of continued yeah. into death metal world but yeah like, very much so but Bathory was like completely different because even back on the first album and particularly on this one, you're getting a much more, the songs are, they're not afraid to let the riffs like, you know, none of, none of these songs have a, have more than probably like what, three, four riffs at the most, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yep. Some of them only have two riffs. Like they don't, they're not afraid to play the riffs. You know, there's kind of a monotonous quality to them as well, you know, this kind of hypnotic, yeah. monotonous quality, monotonous in a good way, you know? But would have that that's the sort of thing that like, you know, gave us under a funeral moon that that exact quality of those songs gave us, you know, albums that were inspired by it. So yeah, that's why we got albums like Under a Funeral Moon that had the very similar blu- blueprint. Exactly. Yeah. It's actually kind of appropriate that we're covering this album after Under Funeral Moon because I feel like Under Funeral Moon they were really modeling themselves after this album, you know. Totally. Yeah, totally. And you can hear it. Yeah. To the point that, like, um, you know, like, I think I mentioned on that, that episode, it was like, uh, I always go from the return of darkness and evil into crossing a triangle of flames on my podcast, on my radio show every week and yeah. to close it out. And those two songs have almost the same type of drum beat and same type of, you know, kind of weird, like, tempo, you know? And it's yep. like, very much feel like go from one to the other, you know? I definitely feel like Quarthon was kind of, not Quarthon, but like Fenris and Dark Throne were definitely modeling a lot of their stuff after after Bathory at that time, you know? After the return of Dark Evil in particular. Yeah, totally. I mean, obviously we covered it last, uh, in the last episode we did, but yeah, it was a homage to these um, earlier albums so they weren't actually trying to create their own music. They were just, you know, 
doing what they felt was a paying tribute to Bathory, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, and they're, they're taking under the blueprint that we see on an album like this and elaborating in their own way, which I think is it's really, you know, kind of cool about so much of the early black metal world is that all these bands were inspired by the same same things, you know? They're all pretty much like, yeah. you know, be it Riding Christ or Samael or Dark Throne or whoever, mm. they're all inspired by, you know, the first four Bathory albums and... Yeah, yeah, you could almost do a black metal tour of the world. You know, you could go, oh, well, Sadistic Execution from Australia. You could go Master's Hammer from the Czech Republic. You could go Sarcophago from Brazil. Like it sort of, you know, influenced people all over the world, not necessarily just Europe. Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. Mm. And they were, it was, it was really like, you know, early Bathory, you know, Hellhammer. You know, early Celtic Frost, you know, Venom. Mm. These these were the the kind of like uh core blueprints for so many different bands, you know what I mean? Yeah. And a lot of the thrash bands sort of started out as a black metal band too, like Destruction and Sodom and bands like that. Yeah. And it's funny with um when it comes to like that kind of thrash stuff, usually I like the bands satanic black metal black thrash type of stuff like you know like the band sacrifice from canada mm -hmm. only like their first album i don't like the rest of their stuff at all i felt like yeah their first album's killer like black thrash stuff and then they just went down like some generic path along the same you know so many of those bands did that they just all like kind of watered their stuff down and like oh now we got to be technical and fancy because that's what metallica did or whatever you know what i mean yeah, they did. Yeah, even bands like Creator sort of did the same thing. They went from you know um, endless pain and uh, pleasure to kill, and then they sort of cleaned up their sound and got more technical and sort of not really progressive. But their um, I guess as musicians, they got better, and their riffs reflected that. But I preferred the earlier style that was a bit more straightforward. Yeah, I definitely I prefer the first two creator albums i don't really listen to anything after that yeah pleasure to kill is definitely definitely the one yeah and uh yeah just all those bands you know sodom i mean i really only like early you know early satanic sodom i don't kind of lose interest after that you know and um yeah just like uh, yeah, a lot of those bands and it's it's um you know, even um, like Sepultura, I pretty much, I just pretty much only like Morbid Visions and Beast of Devastation. I don't really care for the rest of their stuff very much. Have you heard the new re-recorded versions of those early albums they did? Yeah, I heard the re-recordings. Um, they were actually pretty good for re-recordings. I mean, they don't they don't replace originals for me, but I feel like they're pretty good. You know. Yeah, I haven't heard them yet. I, I'm assuming they'd be a fair bit tighter. Yeah, they're tighter. You know, productions like modern, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, they sound pretty yeah, good. It's you know? It'll lose a bit of the charm, but I guess they're more accomplished musicians now, so it's just a case of just, um, you know, doing something that they felt they needed to do, probably. Yeah, it's definitely better than like that Gorgoroth under a funeral under the sign of the of hell re recording, you know. <laughs> I don't even think I've heard that. <laughs> Are you having heard that? They did that in like 2011, like for some reason. Yeah, right. I don't know why. As I don't, you do. I don't know why Infernus did that, but. 
Yeah, some people have some strange ideas about things, but yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. But yeah, back to Bathory, um, the return. Like I said, the I do feel like this album has a bit more seriousness to it for most even than the first album, although I feel like that's the best thing about Bathory is that he's no matter what, he sounds very serious and one thing that I've always thought about Quarathon is that he's a he's channeling something you know he's very much like a channeler in the sense that i feel like in so many ways he's the type of artist who kind of opens himself up to certain types of things and then that's what comes out you know what i mean even if he's aware yeah well yeah well you hear the intro and it goes straight into total destruction and you know that guitar riff comes in is iconic for me personally i just love the rhythm and the simplicity of it and then when the drums all come in it's just yeah it's an amazing it's an amazing start to the album. It's a very strong way to start the album and yeah, I get that entirely. It feels like he's, you know, channeling total destruction. Yeah, exactly. He he just seemed like he was like very capable of uh kind of creating this kind of artistic type of milieu for himself to just channel these things, you know. I feel like he was like the very perfect like kind of conduit for the spirit of black metal to kind of move through them, you know what I mean? And create this, these works of art. And this, yeah, on the album, it starts off, you have Total Destruction, which is a fucking one, one of the best like album openers, you know, in my opinion. Oh, I agree. Yeah. It's an absolute belter of a song, <laughs> to put it lightly. Yeah. And just the rhythm of it's excellent. Just, yeah, everything about it. I love the timing of the riff too. It's pretty simple, but I just love the rhythmic feel that it has. And, you know, when it breaks down and it goes into that other sort of that half-speed beat, it's a bit chaotic, but it still sounds really good. Even the feels are a bit how you're going, but, I mean, they managed to pull it back together. But, you know, I certainly appreciate the um the zest that it's being played that's for sure <laughs> yeah yeah you feel like they're like going at it you know a thousand percent and it's it always feels like it, the album feels like from beginning to end like it could collapse at any moment but somehow manages. yeah exactly. yeah exactly right and i do appreciate that aspect of it and i mean it's good that they had that sound on this second album they went more extreme and um, push the boundaries. And then I guess by the time they moved on to the third album, they really refined it and they realised their sound a lot more and created even more memorable songs. But I think I still really admire the um, the youthful enthusiasm, <coughs> sorry, excuse me, of the, uh, the playing on this one. Yeah, it makes me think that... Um, you think that kind of adds to, to the, the sense of danger that the album has the fact that it feels like it's going to collapse at any point, you know, to just barely making it through each song in a way kind of helps yeah. give this kind of dangerous feeling to the music, you know? Yeah, totally. Like they probably near, near on, I suppose the drummer definitely would have near on collapsed at the end of each song, I think. Yeah. And you get the feeling that they're probably drinking like handle whiskey, like while they're in just like blasting through these songs in the studio. That's why I heard that they were doing that. <laughs> yeah. Like, I guess Quarthon was, like, playing in there, like, you know, with his cowboy boots on and getting drunk and, you know, they're just, like, having a fun, having fun, like, blasting through all this fucking evil metal, you know? Yeah. Yeah, like, it definitely has that 
definitely has that sound to it. Because I heard, I, I remember writing it saying that, yeah, like during this era that he was still kind of like doing the, doing the kind of, that kind of stuff, you know? <laughs> As you do when you're young. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was only, he's only 20 or whatever when he made this album. So I'm sure he was yeah. just excited to be making music and being a rock star or whatever. And that, let's be honest, like the 80s were a simpler time too. So, you know, it was a totally different world. A lot of this stuff, you know, what he was creating was, you know, it was one of the first examples of this kind of music too. So it was a pretty, um, you know, exciting time. It would have been a great time to have been making music in that era, I think, too. Yeah, particularly if you think, of, I always think about that fact that guys like Quarthon and, you know, Tom Warrior, they were literally creating something brand new that no one had ever heard before, which you can't say today. I don't think that there's anything that can be created that doesn't have some kind of foot in the past. Yeah, but exactly. When you listen to The Return, there's literally pretty much nothing like this before this came out in 1985. You know what I mean? Not at all. Not at all. And, uh, it's just it's a kind of amazing the that kind that kind of that fact you know yeah yeah i think uh total destruction great opening we got like um the lyrics are awesome too all about destruction of everything you know and of mankind yep i've got the lyrics in front of me uh they're very small on the cd cover when the bells chime the return yeah, I have it pulled up on my computer so I can see it easier. <laughs> and then, and then we go into "Born for Burning," which has a really cool type of type of riff to it, you know. Yeah, it's a bit more of a rockier sounding riff. Um, but I like the concept as well. Obviously, it's um, "Born for Burning." It's obviously about a witch trial or something along those lines, and it's. Basically saying that, you know, this is her destiny. She's born for burning. That's it. Like, the path has already been chosen. So what do you do? You have to go along with it. Yeah. You know, she, but it, like, I, like I said, she'll burn again tonight. She'll always burn, but her spirit shall survive, you know. Exactly. And it's, it says here it's dedicated to the witch, uh, I think that it's dedicated. He saw like a something about a witch who had gotten burned and during the things, and that's his dedicated. Fifteen twenty one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, burned in fifteen ninety one in in Holland. Yeah. yeah, I think he was on a trip there and saw saw something about her. I forget the exact thing about that. And uh, it's got a good catch. I mean, the whole like born for burning like thing is pretty catchy. I feel like you know. Yeah, and the actual chorus riff is a, it's another catchy riff as well. <clears throat> yeah, I feel like it's a good thing after Total Destruction, which is very kind of, you know, Total Destruction really sets the stage for, I mean, bands like Sadistical Execution or, you know, <laughs> like oh, totally. Sarcoph yeah. Sarcophago and all those kinds of bands. And, but then you get this next song kind of has a bit more of a, yeah, has a kind of a rock feeling to it in a way. Yeah, which is, you know, 
totally acceptable. It was good to start off with an absolute face melter and then go into something a bit more, you know, a bit catchier and then straight into the winds of mayhem. Yeah. The wind of mayhem. Which is a killer song as well. Yeah. I feel like um, I feel like it's very much this whole album has kind of like a kind of theme running throughout it in a lot of ways. Like here, you know, it has like songs that kind of break off from the theme, like "Born Burning." Yeah. Stuff, but then it has like this kind of other kind of underlying thing that's going throughout. You know what I mean? Yeah, the wind of mayhem kind of takes off, sort of in a similar path to um, total destruction, really. Yeah, it's all kind of about like you know, waiting for for you know, the the wind of uh, of Satan basically. Satanus is present, but yet he is unseen. Yeah, exactly. And then yeah, then we have uh, Bestial Lust, which is uh, again kind of more of a rock song and. Yeah, I mean, I guess this is about getting head, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's kind of a, kind of a funny song. This is one of the songs where, <clears throat> um, but I kind of like that that he kind of, even though it's about getting head, it kind of turns it into almost kind of like a Lilith type of you know like de- demoness type of thing. In a yeah, way. like a succubus. Exactly. Yeah, I always feel like the song kind of kind of has that feeling, like he's like taking something kind of a little bit mundane, but then turning it into like about like some kind of succubus or something. And I guess, yeah, well, that's right. And whether that's you know a, an influence from Venom, which is, but well, we've discussed this, so they had a few of those kind of songs, obviously. Yeah, and it's interesting, kind of to go with a little bit, him saying that he hadn't heard venom until after the first album but before he wrote this album so and i feel like you can hear maybe a little bit of a venom influence on this album that you didn't hear on the first one you know what i mean yeah yeah but but at the same time this song is still darker and more evil than you know teacher's pet or something you know what i mean yeah yeah whereas teacher's pet's a little bit annoying for me personally i hate that song i always skip it when i was in black metal i hate that yeah yeah or be still last day. I still like the song. It's still a good song. Oh yeah, it's a great song. Yeah, it's a great song. Yeah, it's like again a bit more rocky kind of. Um, but then we get yeah, and this side is all. It's called darkness. This is side A is darkness mm-hmm. on the on the original vinyl. Yeah, this one album I would love to have an original pressing on vinyl. It'd be awesome. Yeah, totally. Actually, um. One of my son's birthday was in September. I bought him, obviously, it's not the original version on vinyl, but I did buy him this album on vinyl because he didn't have it. So I'm like, have the return. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. He hadn't really listened to as much batteries. So obviously, I've helped him admire it a lot more. Yeah, it's good. It's a, it's a good, good father fathering you know what i mean <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i got him a drut album as well which uh which drut album oh hang on i can't remember now was the one that that's one, pretty much yeah one of the new ones i think it might have been the autumn one. Oh, autumn aurora yeah that's a good one yeah 
Um, but now we get into side evil, which I actually think is the stronger side between the two of oh, us. It's, yeah, I, I think this album seems to get better as it goes, to be honest. Like, the first, like, I, I love Total Destruction, and then you've got a few sort of, like, rockier songs, and then sort of from Possessed on, it's probably more extreme. It seems to get better and better. Yeah, yeah, definitely. This The second side is much more extreme. It doesn't really have the rock stuff on it, which no, I like. Not at yeah. All. Yeah, I definitely feel like the second side is much stronger. Definitely starting with Possessed, which is just a fucking killer song. Like, Yeah. You know, and I mean, the lyrics definitely, uh, definitely, I mean, they, they, the the title says it all. It's about being possessed, you know? <laughs> yeah, and I guess it kind of reminds me of the, the front cover, too, because you've got the witching hour, band, bad Bad Moon is on the rise, so it kind yeah. of reminds me of the front cover as well. So I figured that that was the inspiration for the front cover, maybe. Maybe yeah. I'm wrong, but I get that vibe. I can't resist its infernal cold power when it blazes into my eyes. Yeah, I think so. I definitely think. Yeah. Don't think that the cover is like uh, is by accident, you know. Yeah, and it was actually the first um, Bathory song I heard, so it's definitely uh, got a got a place in my heart. My dark heart, that song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a good one to be the first one you heard, you know. There's that little tiny bit of feedback and then straight into it. No, you know, no mucking around, just bang straight in. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing song. Mm. Then we got then we got one of my favorite songs in the album, which is The Right of Darkness. Yeah. I love this song. Like the you know, I'm all, I'm kind of a kind of oh really into the whole like you know imagery of like some type of like you know sacrifice you know cursed blood and altered black the right of dark is done you know <laughs> yeah yeah definitely just like uh, I don't know it's like this kind of like you got infernal internal with the power in our veins the right of darkness it just has this like really classic evil satanic witchcraft you know yeah. makes me think of like the movie Hawks on you know what I mean. Yeah, and I love it when it slows down a bit, even though it's the part with the very, very untied drumming. I still love that riff, you know what I mean? And then the really, uh, the mad vocals come in. Yeah, and, I, you know, the chorus, like, which changes each time, like, sorcery, blasphemy, recite the words of spell, the right of darkness, deeds of hell, you know? Just yeah. like, And, of course, like, the the title, Infernal Eternal with the Power in Our Veins, that... That you know, Infernal Eternal is like obviously a, a title of a song with Marduk as well. Yeah, exactly. I think they um, took that from. Like, it, that was exactly what I thought as soon as I heard of it. Heard that Marduk song, I immediately thought it came from that because it's I, a pretty iconic part of the album too. I, I believe. Yeah, and and uh, in that era of Marduk, like even the title "Heaven Shall Burn When We Are Gathered" is from Bloodfire Death by uh, you know. Yeah, it's, it's off of one of the songs off Bloodfire. I forget which song it is, you know. So, uh, they I think they that whole album has like a bunch of like nods to Bathory all throughout it, you know. Yeah, and I guess let's not forget they're from the same country too. So there's probably an even bigger influence on Marduk for similar reasons. Yeah, you definitely can tell that that a lot of the Swedish bands have real. You know, like Watain and Marduk, and you know they obviously have a real like reverence for the for the old, you know, Bathory stuff. I mean, I feel like Eric from Watain really bases his vocal style off of Quarthon. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. That was actually one of the best shows I saw was when uh, last time I saw Marduk, they played um, they played the whole Heaven Shall Burn album. Oh, wow, that's fucking, that's awesome. Oh, yeah, when that, that first riff for glorification came in, I nearly lost my shit. It's so powerful. Yeah, I really love, I love that album. Like, it's one of my favorites yeah. from, that, from that era, Marduk. Yeah, same, same here, yeah. I mean, I mean, I think, you know, Marduk's never really done a bad album. But, yeah. um, you know, like, there's something really special about, you know, Opus Nocturne, Heaven's Your Yeah, Opus Nocturne was brilliant, yeah. I even really like those of the Unlight. Yeah, uh, those of the Unlight is great, and I like Dark yeah. Endless. I like... Yeah, me too. Um, I like Nightwing a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. I feel like Heaven's Your Burn and Nightwing very, go together very much. Yeah, I didn't so much like Panzer Division Marduk as much, but I I really enjoyed um Rom Five One Two and Plague Angel and a couple of the ones that came a bit later on. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I, Panzer Division Marduk of that era is probably my least favorite because I like I think World Funeral and La Danse Macabre are much better albums than that one. Yeah, and um and then of course yeah then when Arioch joined with Plague Angel, I mean, particularly Rom Five Twelve. You know, it's one of my favorite albums. You know, like, yeah, that's a highly revered album by Marduk. A lot of a lot of people really like Rum Five One Twelve, uh, Five Twelve, or whatever it is. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and yeah, the Wormwood Serpent Sermon, all that stuff's great. You know, the new album yeah. was like super fucking killer. Yeah, I have had a list, few listens. I have enjoyed it really. Yeah, it's really good. The last two albums that they did were weren't as good. But I feel like this Memento Mori is like a real return to form for them, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there's just totally. something, but but there's something really special about that that '90s era stuff. Like it just really has that. I don't know. There's just something really special about the feeling from those albums, you know. Yeah, oh, I agree, hundred percent. But yeah, Right of Darkness. I love this. There's also a really cool cover the Mutilation did of this song. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's on. Um, so when I bought. The Vampires of Black Imperial Blood for the first time. It wasn't actually the album version. It was like the original demo tape version. Oh, okay. This, this label had released. So so it had like the full demo tape of Vampires of Black Imperial Blood, which is different from the album version. So the, the original version is all the songs are from the same session. So they all have the same production. Yep. Um, and the final song on that one is a cover of Right of Darkness, which is really good. Yeah, cool. I'll have to, I'll have to yeah. seek that out. Yeah, if you can find a copy of that or find, you know, cause I, I I have like fucking like three or four versions of that album, <laughs> but uh, but only one of them had the that full version. There are other ones are the official Drakkar album, which I don't like as much because the, the mm-hmm. official Drakkar version has like the songs with the drum machine on it, you know. Yeah, which are not bad, but <laughs> I just prefer I like the the way that I know that album was from this other version, you know. <laughs> Yeah, which is all the same same sound, you know. Yeah, there are quite a few editions of that album, isn't there? And they're yeah. all slightly different versions in different ways and whatnot. Yeah, it's kind of funny. The same thing was true with um, remains the remains album. Um, hmm. There's the version that Drakkar did has the drum machine song at the end, um, but then there's also the original demo is actually called Eve, "Evil: The Just Thought of Abomination." Mm-hmm. And um, 
I have a version of that as well, which the same label had put out back in the early 2000s. And that has the same tracks as Remains, but it has like these like um, dark ambient interludes. Like, I think I told you about Oh, that. cool. Yeah. 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 Which has like these dark ambient interludes, kind of like Satanic Tenebra or something, which actually, again, I kind of prefer that version to the. To the one that to the actual like official album one that everybody knows you know i think uh there might even be a few dark adversary versions as well of some of those yeah, yeah. I, ha I have i have all the dark adversary one like when he yeah i think they might be the ones i have also yeah that's who i bought all of them when when he reissued in them and then my fr i ended up with some of the drakkar ones too my friend gave me copies of them so yeah i have, I have a bunch of those <laughs> It's always good to have a nice range of things to listen to, different versions of albums. I mean, I, yeah, there's certain albums that I might have three or four copies of as well. Yeah. Well, with the cool thing with them is they all have different booklets and different, you know, pictures of mutilation and stuff. So that's cool. Yeah. But Got a um, really cool version of Majestus Lep Leprous. Oh, that, that on vinyl. Oh, it's cool. really good too. Yeah, I love that one. Yeah, that's a good one. That's one of my favorites of of the later, you know, drum machine mutilation. Yeah, it's a bit more flat out. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I like all the I like all the drum machine mutilations. Well, I like Black Millennium, that one, mm. and Rat and Konging. But I do think yeah. that, I do think that one is the strongest of the three. Yeah. Then we got Reap of Evil, which is a killer song as well. This one's pretty pretty evil sounding. Yeah, so another because most of these songs are only about two and a half minutes long, actually. They're all quite short. They're all um especially like um possessed and that. I think, yeah, a lot of these But as the album goes on, I just feel the strong the songs get stronger each time. Yeah. Yeah. Reap of evil, here to calls for your blood and flesh, bells tolls, it's time for your last breath. <laughs> Ride their body, death is cold, jaws, claws, sink their talons deep into your soul. That's great. Yeah, definitely. But then you got the wind squall through the veil of tears, bring the smell of decaying flesh. I feel like that the wind is there again, you know. That's why I mean like this is kind of like underlying kind of undercurrent. Yeah. yeah. You can sort of hear that in a way. You can sort of like you get the with the faster songs. You can sort of get that feeling of an undercurrent of a you know a deathly wind going through the music as well. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like the second side is is pretty like you know the what set up in like total destruction and the winds of mayhem in the first out first side. Mm -hmm. All the songs on this side kind of flow from one to the other with the same type of type of feeling throughout of like, you know, um, it's almost like it's telling a story in a way of like, like, right of darkness is like the witches, the satanic witches, like doing like this ritual and sacrificing to bring, you know, the dark God, you know, into the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if it was like kind of like total destruction, the winds of mayhem is kind of like the, the kind of like setting that up. It's like with the second side, it's like bringing it on. You know what I mean? Yeah, getting rid of all the you know, clearing the land of all the pathetic humans to to be reborn with you know, 
this dark energy. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. I, I like like hell's wrath spawn this night of judgment. Flames of evil snatch the skies from pits of pure damnation. Satan rise. For all of you, the bell was told. Take heed the reap of evil. It almost seems to be like talking about like the kind of uh, order nine angles idea of calling <laughs> the earth. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so it kind of feels like in the song, you know. Like, are going to, like, call the earth of all this weak human flesh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a great song title to Reap of Evil. A simple but effective. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, it's it's really telling you that this is kind of like the reaper reaping, you know, and yeah, it's great. Um, And then we got Son, Son of the Damned, which... Kind of has that kind of like antichrist feeling, right? Yep. And then again, we hear so yeah, the first line of the lyrics is, I was born on the light of a full moon. So we're talking about the sort of it brings me back to the front cover again. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Baptized so in the sacred of... blood of an angel. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And then again, here you also see, I ride the wings of darkness and evil. And then further on, it says, in the blackened sky of twilight, the wind of mayhem blow. So I, I definitely feel like, like I said, there, he's, you know, I think there's certain things running throughout the whole album. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. There's a, there's a undercurrent, a theme that sort of runs, runs through the album. Like, yeah, we're constantly hearing about the winds and things like that. And and I guess, you know, I do get the vibe of, like I said, you can sort of get that vibe of the wind through the fast songs, you know. I think he sort of captures it really well. Yeah, it's kind of like the the music is there to kind of like um, uh, explicate like the concept from the lyrics in a way. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think that's exactly what he's done. Yeah, I think so. You know, I think I think that, the faster parts of the of the songs are, are in a way him trying to like create the musical version of these this kind of winds of mayhem and destruction and everything coming on. Yeah, totally. I think that's exactly what the intent was behind the songs. Yeah, uh, yeah. This uh, this song is is another like killer song. Endless nights and the fire to Holocaust is near. Mists around your destiny and the mortals run with fear. <laughs> And I think the opening riff's really catchy too. Yeah, this one has a very catchy riff as well. Yeah, it's a it's a great great song. Son of the damned in the wild. Mm-hmm. Very like very anti-human and evil. You know the way black metal should be. Yeah, totally. Kind of sick. Like I lacerate your body, I slit and tear your flesh. I don't know. I just feel like there's a part of black metal that should be kind of like inhuman and, and evil like this you know in my opinion like you're kind of like you know a lot of the lyrics that i write for like my black metal stuff is like that you know it's like just like evil you know what i mean because you're because you're kind of tapping into this kind of inhuman part of yourself to make this music in my opinion yeah that's right that's and you know you, you can use a lot of these words metaphorically to um you know explain how you feel a lot easier as well exactly you know no, it's not always like literal, like, but it's kind of like just this, this kind of like 
exploration is kind of anti-human type of uh type of feeling you know yeah it's the way you know if they're the feelings you have i guess it's an outlet you know too yeah yeah and i just think i feel like black metal <clears throat> i don't know for me black metal should be coming from this type of framework you know just kind of like, a lot of the good stuff does yeah i don't know it just seems like so much black metal should should have that feeling because uh I don't know. It just seems to me that that it's part of why I, I have a hard time sometimes relating to black metal that gets too much involved with human emotions, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, this this is emotionless. This is just pure pure darkness. Yeah. If there is an emotion in black metal, it's supposed to come from that kind of inhumanity and maybe the kind of you know, there you know, certain em and em emotions you might have from that, you know what I mean? Or or trying to express yeah. some type of I don't know, different things. Power or lust or things like that. Not so much, you know, like sadness or things like what you know, I guess some people want to do that, but it's not really what I think it should be. Yeah, I don't think so either, you know, generally, you know. I guess here and there you could have little bits of that with, you know, I kind of like Burzum did, you know, with certain elements of maybe a little like melancholy, but I feel like, I feel like even Burzum's music, that kind of stuff's coming from kind of being in humanity to the point of like this kind of like, uh, there's a little bit of that loneliness of being this kind of spirit, you know what I mean? Like out of time or mm -hmm. something, you know, that does come through. But it's still kind of inhuman in a lot of ways with even Burzum, you know? Yeah, that's right. Which I think a lot of people mis misunderstood and then we got the horrible, you know, this horrible, like, stuff where it's just, like, people, like, talking about their emotions, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, thinking, oh, yeah, that's what black metal is. It's all about this, you know, talking about our emotions. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm not. I'm not really a huge fan of um, DSBM, to be honest. It's not my thing. Yeah, me neither. I think uh, the only time I feel like there's certain parts of it that that I listen to sometimes, but it's usually not. It's usually like when I'm in the same type of mood to listen to like I don't know Bethlehem and like Joy Division and you know other kinds mm. of music like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess it's mel. There's, there's a difference between darkness and melancholy as well, and different bands. Like if you wanted to listen to something melancholic, then something like The Cure's ideal. Yeah, yeah, and like, like well, maybe like say Disintegration or something like that. An album like Disintegration, not necessarily some of their poppier songs. Yeah, exactly. Like something like Disintegration yeah. or Pornography or something. Yeah, there, totally. There's like a particular kind of mood for that. But it's not really what I go for, go to for black metal. So when yeah, yeah, music exactly. that, when there's black metal that has that feeling, but it doesn't really, it's not really black metal to me. So I don't really consider like suicidal, depressed black metal stuff black metal. You know, it's like yeah. it's like this other type of thing that I don't listen to when I'm in the mood for black metal. <laughs> if that makes sense, yeah, right. Yeah, I do. I do I get just, it. I just don't call it black metal because like I feel like it's not black metal. No. No, there's no sort of mention of the occult or, you know, anything like that. It's more about, you know, sadness and despondency and things like that. Depression. Yeah. Misanthropy. Yeah. I don't know. I just don't think that that's really black metal. I mean, 
to me, at least. You know, like it it can sound with stuff can sound like related to black metal, but it's not really black metal, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's not pure black metal. Yeah, something else. And that's my opinion, at least. Like, but that's because like yeah. I I tend to class, particularly nowadays, I tend to classify stuff based off of the themes and the feeling of the music, not the the sound of it. You know. Yeah, that's right. Because I mean, I guess there's you know you've got to label the music with the intent that it was made to a certain degree as well. Yeah, exactly. I think I think that's a problem with today's today's society is people try to label everything just based off of the external sound of it. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's just yeah. easier, easier, easier to pigeonhole bands with one kind of you know genre. Yeah, but it, it creates a confusion of people because now people think that these multiple things that aren't black metal are black metal. You know. <laughs> yeah. Like, then, you know, aesthetically, they could look like, you know, there's a lot of very, there's a lot of similarities. So I guess it's kind of difficult for most people to see the difference. But I guess it's, you know, those who, you know, dig deeper and know what the band's actually about, what the um, concepts behind the band are and whatnot, have a greater understanding of what's actually black metal and what's music that sounds like black metal. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> It's something that I, I try to champion on the podcast is, is trying to really champion this point of view because I just feel like it's important to get that out yeah. there. Cause it, yeah. Because I'm just tired of seeing people calling like basically a shoegaze band, a black metal band, is because they have like certain sound things that sound like. Yeah, like um, Deaf Heaven or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, or Alcest or whatever. Yeah. Or like any number of things like that where it's like. It's not black metal. I don't care. No, that that he's got like tremor riffs. It doesn't mean it's black metal. <laughs> no, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, they've got dissonance. They've got long songs and, you know, different elements of black metal that may have been inspired by black metal. But unless it comes from the right place, it's not black metal. Yeah. Yeah. Like, even if they're inspired by the music of black metal, if they're not writing about if they don't have that feeling of black metal, it's not black metal to me, you know. So, not at all. That's my opinion. However, this album is very much rooted in black metal, and that's why we're talking about it. Exactly. This this album is black metal. <laughs> it's black. It's black metal personified, if you know what I mean. Very much so, and that's why it's so highly revered and why it's so influential. Yeah, and we got. The next song is Sadist Tormentor, which I love this song. It's so like, it's got this kind of weird, slower kind of tempo. <laughs> I, don't yeah. know, I don't know how to describe the tempo exactly, <laughs> but uh, it's a little bit slower, I guess. But it just feels very fucking plotting in like an evil way, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah. It's a darker song too, and again, it's not a very long one either. It's probably only two and a half minutes long, three minutes at the most, and it's just it follows on from the previous songs. I feel I feel there's like a bit of a wink musically through a lot of these songs as well. Yeah, yeah, and this song definitely builds on "Son of the Damned" because it's like a "Son of the Damned." You know, he's talking about like slit and tear your thrash, like, you know, all this stuff. And then Sadist, he's like, I love to see you writhe and throw. The more you suffer, my lust grows, you know? I slit yeah. your throat and tear your flesh. My desire will be your death. So I guess it's kind of building on 
you know, son of the damned in a lot of ways, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. But it's sort of like the kind of like mid-tempo kind of like beat that it has and, and feeling of it. It feels kind of like, just feels kind of, it feels really like grimy and evil, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah, totally. Which are like, you know, like, that's one thing about this whole album is that the tempos on this album are very individual. And that's something mm. that you can only get from a period of time in which people were recording stuff completely raw without any type of like click track or things like that. It's just like very natural tempos, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. It's like, so like a lot of songs, even when they're fast, they're not like fast in some type of precise way. And I think that's part of how you create the classic, you know, black metal drum beat, you know, the black metal blast beat which isn't really a blast beat really you know (laughs) it comes from here you know what i mean yeah it's like i always call it like a it's it's like people who know black metal know what it is but it's like you know that kind of translating hunger beat comes from this you know and really this album and vaughn you know yeah totally but i mean i think it's a really good tempo that sort of um drives the music well yeah it's like a tempo that drives the music but isn't so fast that it's you know it's like ripping your face off in the same way as yeah it's still got a sense of rhythm to it too and you can still have sort of uh riffs that have a bit of a rhythm to them or a bit of a you know yeah exactly straight out riff you can sort of like have a bit more of a rhythmic kind of riff over the top which i i like yeah like i just kind of like that kind of like don't 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 you know type of type of feeling to it you know what i mean yeah and and what's interesting about that, I've always found interesting about the kind of monotonous quality to a, like Black Metal for me is that it has a kind of more trance-inducing quality to it because of that that kind of tempo. Yeah. And and like if you ever listen to like recordings of like Siberian like shamans doing their their drum beats, you know that they do when they go mm-hmm. under their like you know vision quests and stuff. It's the same yep. type of drum beat. Like that you hear on Transylvania Hunger, you know? Yeah. Like the shamans do like this type of type of beat when they do their vision. Yeah, that sort of builds up, builds up into a bit of a crescendo for them when they're doing that kind of meditation, doesn't it? Exactly, yeah. And so it's really interesting because literally like black metal, so much black metal, particularly the Scandinavian variety has these types of beats and and i know that like with say vaughn you know who helped kind of create that and you know yep. um that was purposeful like i know that that uh was his name vane and uh you know uh when guys who helped create vaughn like he he was very inspired by like literally by like shamanistic music and you know like uh tribal music and stuff like that with this idea of like creating this kind of tribal trance-inducing type of beat you know yeah so, and then that then what they were doing there kind of goes on and and influences these other bands and i feel like a lot of people kind of tapped into that and realized that oh yeah this music can like really take you to somewhere else you know yeah totally it's just uh you know you're only limited by you know your ability to create you know the right riffs to go over those beats and you know really tap into that energy Exactly. And this like there's something really powerful about that whole thing. Like 
you know, and that the beat and the way it feels and everything, it just really like, yeah, it does something to us, you know, Get, connects us with certain things, you know. Totally. And when you encode the right types of energies into the into the riffs and the intent behind the lyrics and the energy that you're transmitting, it's like that that the beat opens the doorway and then then the lyrics and the music that you write to it bring the bring presence whatever you're presencing through it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like you said earlier, it acts like a conduit, which is a good way to put it. I thought. Yeah, you know, creates this kind of nexion or conduit through through these forces. And I feel like after you're doing that exactly in this album, this album feels like it's a spell in a way. Yeah, it does. Because it also builds up, like you said, to the last song, "The Return of Darkness and Evil," which feels like a literal like conjuration to presence this dark force of satanic of satan on the earth yeah i think the album sort of the album sort of builds to that last song too and like you know the chorus and everything being such a prevalent part of that song i think everything sort of in the album builds up to that point i agree yeah and i mean the whole thing everything kind of comes together with this last song too you know you have like of course, the immortal lyrics, a sorcery written in blood, you know, whispered by a witch in the dawn, some of the darkness, pure and evil and death, gathered allegiance of scorn. Then you have like, tonight the hellfires will burn, thunder and lightning, the ancient prediction, the bells chime for Satan's return. These are like, you know, the storm and the bells are things that we've been coming up in the lyrics yeah, throughout. Exactly. And then, you know, you have, yeah, the chorus, the return of darkness and evil, the return of fire and flame. It's the turn of my master Satan. It's the turn of desire and pain. She's like perfect, you know. Yeah, totally. And I like the fact that obviously Gorgoroth used the first line in the song for their demo. Yeah, and that's a killer demo too. Yeah, I used to have that on original. <laughs> oh wow, that's amazing. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> yeah. Version, the version of Ritual on that demo is my favorite version. I think it's better than the one on Pentagram. Yeah. Well, like, that's. Probably still my favorite album by them, but I don't think many people seem to think the same way. I think they they're not a huge fan of the really high vocals or something, but I really like it. It's probably my favorite Gorgoroth album. I don't know. It seems like it seems like a lot of people that is their favorite. Uh, it's not my favorite, but I do think it's a great album. Yeah. The um, but yeah, the I feel like uh, like I said, this album seems to presence this force and i know that thomas carlson from the you know dragon rouge Mm -hmm. uh, seems to believe feel like that as well he's posted it on you know his facebook and stuff like that and yeah talked talked about this song being like kind of like a presencing of state of the dark lord on the earth and this kind of stuff so yeah well it feels that way (laughs) no no i think i think uh, the timing of it being the last song on the album is sort of yeah like i said i think everything builds towards that and then the you know, the iconic sort of chorus sort of, it's like the high point of the album. It's the exaltation of everything that's come before it. It's like the victory. It's like the victory dance of the album. Yeah. Blasphemy, victory, desecration, hell and damnation. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And I think this is the best version of the song. Like, uh, I know a lot of people like the one from the Nordic metal compilation, which is a bit Mm -hmm. slower. But I do yep. I prefer this version on this album, like yeah. personally. And uh 
I know that most bands, when they cover the song, they cover the Nordic metal version. Um, like, you know, Watain. I, cause this was the thing. I was like, I've only listened to that other version a handful of times, you know? Mm-hmm. And I hadn't listened to it in a while, so I kind of forgot that how different it was from this version. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, I put on, like, say, the Suter cover they did recently, or I put on, like, the Watain cover, and I go, why the fuck does this song sound so weird in these covers, you know? Yeah, and then I go, oh, and so he's like, oh, it's because it's the 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 Nordic metal version. I was like, oh, and I listened that version. I was like, this is not as good as the one on the album, in my opinion. You know? Yeah, nah, it's not. Like, I I really like the version of the album is so much. It's like fast, a little faster, a little bit more chaotic, and just also much more catchy, in my opinion. Yeah, totally. Like it just works a lot better. And I guess that's why it, you know, closes out your radio show each week as well. Exactly. Yeah. Part of my concept for that was that I wanted to create this little mini block at the end of every episode that basically defines, shows like my definition of what black metal is, you know? Yeah. So I got, you know, Possessed, Fallen Angel, that song, you know, and then I got mm-hmm. a Hellhammer song, usually Satanic Rites or Triumph of Death. Sometimes I mix mm-hmm. up another one from Satanic Rites. And then I do yep. Bathory, the return, you know, uh, Return of Darkness and Evil. And then I do, you know, Crossing Triangle of Flames from Dark Throne. And then Demon's Tears, Stump Satanas from Mayhem. And sometimes I also throw in a Vaughn song as well. So, you know, basically like my top five black metal things, you know, that's what I play, you know. Yeah. Well, it's your show, and you should make it reflect exactly what you want it to reflect, which is true black metal. Exactly, yeah. I guess for me, it's like like that thing. It's just become a tradition now where I play that at the end or put it at the end of the playlist, you know. Well, the playlists are always high quality. Like, it's all top-tier black metal usually. Yeah, I try to to keep, make make it the best I can, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like each episode, you know, I do a little different things and, you know, depending on my mood or where, where the inspiration takes me. Cause I, I usually pick the sets, like, um, kind of like I'll start at one place and mm-hmm. then just, then I just kind of go through it. Like, you know, where does the song make me think? Okay. Now let's do this song next. And then the next song. Yeah. Know. Kind of come up with a, an undercurrent of similarities to sort of create the playlist. Yeah. Kind of like what does one song make me think of to next one? Or, you know, sometimes I have like a concept kind of underlying feeling that I want to go throughout. Yep. A lot of, a lot of episodes, the first part might be more newer black metal. And then the second part might be more old school stuff, you know, or even yeah. black thrash stuff. Like, yep. Like that, I was doing that for a while, where it's like my first block would be newer, and my second block would be like pretty much all first wave and you know other stuff like that. But just depends. Remember, on the- back in uh, about nineteen ninety four, a couple of my good mates in uh, Ballarat, back in Victoria, had they did a radio show on the the um, public radio station three uh, triple B. It was called, I think they called it, it was called Metal Militia or something like that. And yeah, we, we'd get, and I'd go up there sometimes and help out. I wouldn't talk too much on the radio and whatnot, but I went up there and I just got told comps, snores, 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 and we had a black metal special. And um, yeah, some people, 
I think I knew one of them. They broke into a church and like trashed the church and everything that night. And so it was pretty good to inspire some petty satanic crimes <laughs> with our music. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we'd, um, I think we played like you know the like that um, the sound with all the or- the song with all the orgies and stuff on it on Toll Compton's and all those. We played that on the radio show, yeah. and yeah, we just it was just a total like yeah. Awesome. We'd always getting. I think they ended up getting kicked off after a few months because every time they went in there after we'd finished, it always smelled like beer and cigarettes, and you know we, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> have a good time up there. Yeah, we having a good time tearing it up. <laughs> that was my brief, my brief radio career, but yeah, I didn't really have a lot to do with like the um, making up the playlists and all that. But back then, it was all CDs. It was you know pre digital. Well, yeah, not pre digital, but yeah. Yeah, you had to play like what you had and play CDs. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that was one of the reasons because, you know, we each had a CD collection. You know, if there was four or five of us, we had a lot more to pick from. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was a little bit different, you know. And mm. I, yeah, I, I like picking, doing it, you know, it's like, I, you know, no one really listens. So <laughs> I just do it for me my own amusement really, you know, like, so like picking the, the sets and everything. So I feel like, uh, I feel like more people probably check out the playlists that I post for Spotify, you know, the next yeah. Cause fun. I don't even, I'm not even sure what time of day it would be that I would, would actually be live to be honest for me. It would be, uh, around this time. I start at about 1 PM your time. Ah, okay. On, yeah. On I'll Wednesdays. be, they usually probably at work. I'd imagine. I'm at work. Yeah. 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 Unfortunately, I don't think my, uh, co-workers would appreciate the soundtrack <laughs> too much yeah the um yeah the uh and you enjoy that something i was thinking about when you brought up told court you know the impaled nazarene mm-hmm. i never feel like um i feel like in, the, in that period of the late 80s and 90s i feel like there was kind of like you know a kind of undercurrent of like similarity between say impaled nazarene beharit um you know these these those, those finnish bands right and then you're the bands in australia like sadistic execution you know all mm-hmm. these bands and then in the states you had like blasphemy or not in the states but canada blasphemy and profanatica i feel like all these kind of bands kind of somehow like had more in common with each other than like you know what i mean like all across mm-hmm. across like the australian bands the fin- finnish bands and even like the bands in like some of the bands in South America stuff, they all seem to have like the kind of similarity with each other that was like different from the, from the say more Scandinavian style stuff. You know what I mean? It's probably like sort of like what you would describe as bestial black metal would probably be a good, good uh, label for a lot of those bands. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of them are still black metal or kind of proto like creating that kind of style. Mm. It's interesting that, it's interesting how that that kind of style was like particularly like kind of you know pioneered in like australia and finland you know what i mean and, and canada <laughs> it's kind yeah of like exactly in america like it feels like those those they kind of like this current of black metal going on you know what i mean yeah but it's always yeah, I, just find it, I just find it interesting like why those particular countries was was, was the ones creating it you know <laughs> yeah and they all seem to yeah, be in, in contact with each other too, which is the funnier part about it too. 
That's right, yeah. And there was other bands like Abominator in Australia as well. Um, they were sort of very similar kind of band. I know that, yeah, it seems like that it was kind of like the, that was like black metal before the Norwegian scene kind of took over. You know what I mean? That, that's what that's what Paul Ledney from Profanatica Prof says. He's like, you know, there was black metal of like, you know, these bands in Finland and Australia and, you know, Canada and the States and in these types of mm -hmm. bands was kind of, they were kind of all connected with each other and in communication with each other. And then, but then, and, and they're also kind of more in communication with like Samael and all those bands as well. But yeah. Then, but then once the, once the Norwegian black metal kind of like took hold of like the you know, media and everything like that, you know, that, then, then all of a sudden, black metal was defined more by that stuff than what had already been kind of around. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's right. It did too. And then I guess you know they had their own sound, which influenced a lot of people as well. Yeah, and then you kind of ended up having this kind of weird, like kind of, I guess for some of these guys, almost like a a hostility between the between the like you know Paul Eddie still makes fun of Norwegian mm. black metal to stay you know but then yeah. I think for the rest of us we just like we like both <laughs> yeah exactly I was just like I'll enjoy what I like and that's that yeah and I feel like um I feel like the roots are the same for all these bands you know we're all coming from they are we're all coming yeah. from Bathory and Hellhammer you know all that kind of stuff we mentioned earlier you know yeah yeah but, totally. Um, like literally, like you know, the first three or four Bathory albums are you know, Hellhammer, Satanic Rites, and the, uh, the Apocalyptic Raids. You know that first first Celtic Frost album. You know, like these are like the 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 defining. You know, these are the things that really play, set those roots of black metal. Really, you know. Yeah, and then I guess to a lesser degree, some people would argue Motorhead influenced black metal, even Black Sabbath. Um, some of the more obscure bands like Death SS and, you know, Bulldozer and. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Merciful Fate. Yeah, I mean, definitely Merciful Fate is part of the black metal thing as well, you know. Mm. And, uh, I think that's, I think that that goes to show that black metal, you know, if you look at their, the first really beginning of black metal, you know, like be it. The fact that you got Merciful Fate, Bathory, Celtic Frost, Cellhammer, Venom, like you said, uh, you know, bands like Bulldozer, etc. Like, it's not really a stylistically, again, going back to that thing, it's not a style necessarily. It's more of a feeling. Yeah. Anyone could even argue that early Slayer could almost be black metal. Yeah, I definitely consider, you know, particularly even, even Hell Awaits to a certain degree, you know, but definitely, yeah. definitely show no mercy. You know? Show no mercy, yeah, for sure. I mean, I love those. Like, I think everything Slayer did up till about Seasons in the Abyss was great. Yeah, my, yeah, for me, Slayer up to Seasons Abyss. Cause I'm big. I'm a huge fan of South of Heaven. Yeah, same. Album. You know, I love the kind of slower, darker type of direction they took on that album. Yeah, well, they'd already done everything they could with Rain in Blood, but I like the fact that they didn't try and better it. They just went, okay, let's write a different album. And they did that, and it, it sort of worked, didn't work against them in any shape, way, shape, or form because, yeah, a lot of people actually prefer South of Heaven to Rain in Blood. Yeah, I mean, I like, I, I like Rain in Blood, but I've never been the type of person who 
is like, oh, that's the best. You know, I've known people who that's like their favorite metal album of all time, you know, and yeah. I can't say that. I mean, I prefer Hell Awaits or, you know, Show No Mercy or, or South or um, South of Heaven, actually, personally, because I, I like the different types of songs. Like, I do like Rain and Blood a lot. It's a great album. It's a classic, you know. And if somebody tells, oh, me, that's, somebody tells me that's their favorite album, I'm not going to be like, oh, that's stupid. I'll be like, that's cool. Yeah, I, I see that. But for me, I kind of prefer the stuff that's a little bit more varied. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I There's not a bad riff on that album, though. No, yeah. It's a fucking killer album. I just really love mm. the sinister types of riffs that's on Hell Awaits, for example. You know what I mean? Yeah, some of the slower, melodic ones. Yeah, they are. And they, they just had they had this like knack of writing these riffs that have like I don't I don't know if it's tritones or I don't know what what type yeah. of, what they're doing, but it just where they're layering the two notes on top of each other and it sounds like so fucking evil, you know? Yeah, yeah, they've done it in a minor way instead of a major way. Yeah, I do use some of those tricks in my own writing and stuff as well, but I, don't, I won't, won't reveal too much of it. I don't want to give away any secrets, though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's something that uh, that I I really think is cool. I know that like Dark Throne are very, you know, if when you listen to like um, a Blaze Northern Sky, I can definitely hear a lot of Hell Awaits in that album. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, for. Our, a lot of those early Norwegian guys, uh, their introduction, all that stuff. There was like, a, uh, I forget the the thing. It was on. It was like a, a live show that was like, um, I think it was Venom and Slayer, and uh, might have been Sodom. I can't remember. But it was, or no, it was. Um, there's another thrash band. I'm trying to think of what the what the lineup was, but it was like this this uh really famous like like um live tape that had all three all these these three bands on them. I know for sure it was Slayer and Venom. Cuz it was like Venom's tour and Slayer opening for Venom. Yeah. Who like, else was it? I'm trying to remember who it might have even been was it Metallica, was it? Don't they was, did no. I don't think it was Metallica. I feel like it was another Euro, Euro band, but I might be wrong about that. Yeah, I, I think I can vaguely remember it, but uh, honestly, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't have a clue. Because I'm trying to remember what it's called. It was came out in like 1984 or something like that. Yeah, okay. Maybe a little bit later than that, but it was like it was like the first time that a lot of people in Europe were had heard like Slayer because because mm-hmm. they were showing it on TV. I think it was on like MTV or something like that. Okay, but it was like a whole like live show that, and I can't remember the name of that. But that was like a lot of them. That was the first time they heard like Slayer, and they're like heard that kind of like more extreme music. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like, totally. As so many of the so many of the guys from that era, like that was their introduction. Like if you listen to interviews with them, you know, they all seem to love their Kiss as well, which I I'm not. I'm going to be honest. I'm not a huge fan of at all. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, either. I think they're probably one of the most overrated bands in history, to be honest. Yeah, I feel like I feel like Kiss is something that it's generational. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like 
I feel like we missed the bus. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, when I was when I was a younger kid, like in the early eighties, they they were huge. Like you could get trading cards. Like there was even like breakfast cereal and like ice creams, and there was gifts were huge. But I, I just, even when I was a bit older and got into started listening to metal and stuff like that, I still didn't really rate them. Like there's probably two or three songs I don't mind, but ascent. But realistically, they don't really do anything for me at all. But a lot of the Scandinavians seem to really have um, Kiss seem to have been the catalyst for them to get into music, whereas it wasn't the case at all for me, really. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I mean, you know, even like Quarathon was like such a huge Kiss fan, you know, and mm. like all those guys, like you know, I know Fenris talks about, you know, Kiss was one of his first like musical loves, and you know, a lot of those guys. Yeah. But then it's funny because there was an interview of Gall and. Um, and and his introduction, he actually was Hellhammer. He heard Hellhammer, mm. and he was like, "That's what made me really interested in metal." And uh, yeah. and um, it was on Thomas Ger- Thomas Erickson podcast. He's like, "Oh, you didn't hear like Kiss?" He's like, he was like, "No, like what? This stuff silly, you know." Basically, like, <laughs> yeah, he was like, just like, no, like no, like I can't stand Kiss. Basically, you know, I'm paraphrasing. But yeah. He was kind of like, because for him, it was like, it wasn't serious enough. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess for me it was probably more ACDC in the mid '80s because, like, they were originally an Australian band anyway. Yeah, that was that was kind of the case for me too. I mean, yeah, yeah, like I was definitely, you know, I think any, I think any, any, particularly growing, you know, in the '90s, they had their their kind of like, you know, them and Aerosmith both got really popular again in the '90s. So yeah, yeah like I think everybody, you know. I definitely had, you know, all the all the ACDC albums and that was like very into Black and Black and, you know. Yeah, Back in Black is a brilliant album. Yeah, Highway to Hell, you know. Highway to Hell is brilliant. For those about to rock, all those early albums, yeah. yeah. And I really like the Bon Scott era of stuff too. It, it's pretty nostalgic, especially because a lot of those early film clips and stuff are like, you know, filmed in Australia as well. I love the one with It's a Long Way to the Top. It's, um, yeah, just in Melbourne. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, like, the, for me, it was, like, I think probably the first, like, because my dad did not listen to hard rock or heavy metal at all. So for me, mm-hmm. like, my real introduction to heavier stuff, ironically, was uh, the Wayne's World soundtrack and uh, oh, yeah. and that movie. And I got I remember getting the soundtrack and listening to it all the time, and in particular like stuff like Alice Cooper. Yeah, you know, I watched some of his stuff. Yeah, yeah, like that, and they had Alice Cooper on there, and then then you got like there's even like Black Sabbath on there from the Humanizer era, which is a pretty good song. So like, mm. but definitely like hearing Alice Cooper is probably like my introduction to heavier music, and then and then then probably definitely ACDC was the next step from there. You know what I mean? Yeah, that was probably more more sort of one of the formative bands for me instead of Kiss. But I guess, yeah, like I said, the Scandinavians all seem to um, start off at Kiss for some reason. But Yeah, they were very into... A lot of them do like ACDC too, but definitely Kiss was like one of those ones. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I don't... Like I said, yeah, I mean, even like Immortal. I mean, Immortal based like so much of this stuff off of Kiss. Like they have like the Immortal Army, like like the Kiss Army, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I um, yeah. I mean, I kind of was like intrigued by like Gene Simmons, you know, makeup. But yeah, 
Yeah, was, I thought he looked really cool and stuff, but I was a little bit like, I don't know. I feel like the I was music. A Confused about his boots and their shoes and the glam side of it. Like, I liked the makeup and all the blood and all that, but then there was, like, that sort of gender-bending aspect to it as well, which I was a bit like, okay. Yeah, and I feel like uh, I feel like the thing that didn't make sense for me was that they have this type of image, but then their music's just, like, boogie rock. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. didn't didn't yeah. have didn't have any kind of darkness to it. So for me, I always no. felt like Kiss was kind of a disappointing band because they have this type of image, but then their music doesn't the have it. Yeah, yeah, but their music doesn't have any kind of darkness to it at all. You know what I mean? Not at all. It's like all the songs are about love. Exactly. So for me, there there was kind of disappointing, particularly compared to yeah. you know, you know, ACDC at least had like Hell's Bells and stuff like that. You know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Their songs, the songs were a bit clever. Some of the lyrics were quite clever and a bit cheeky as well, especially in the 70s. Yeah, Bon Scott was always good at writing kind of like double entendres and stuff. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He was definitely a great front man, that's for sure. I've actually went to his um, grave when I've worked over in Perth in years gone by. Oh, cool. Visited that. Yeah, there's always, you know, few empty uh, beers there and people go there and have a drink with Bon and yeah. Yeah. For him, that's like an appropriate thing to do. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. And there's a statue at the um, Fremantle at the, um, at the port there, I guess you'd call it. Yeah. A statue of Bon Scott. I visited that as well. So it was cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, my main guitar for, for most of my life has been, in, been SGs. So, mm-hmm. and that's partly, it's mostly because of Tony Omi, but also mm-hmm. also Angus Young as well. Because you know, yeah. seeing him playing the SG like made a big impression on me, and then then getting yeah. into, into Black Sabbath and you know, mm. like how much I love Tony Omi and and Black yeah. Sabbath stuff. Like I was like, yeah, I, I you know I had to get an SG. You know, that was like my first guitar. You know, yeah, yeah. I had an SG bass back in the day, actually. Those are cool too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, it was a really nice uh, cherry red sort of wood grainy color. It was the first bass I had, actually. It was really nice. Yeah, I've been wanting to get one of those SG basses because yeah, I like them. I have, I just have like a, a Fender P bass oh, yeah. that, that I've had. Precision, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've had this because when I first started playing, I, I actually started on bass and then I decided to play guitar. So my first instrument was this Fender P bass that I've had for, yeah. you know, 25 years or something like that (laughs) yeah that's actually the same as me like i started on bass as well but it was after watching um the cliff and all video watching uh cliff burton play all the bass solos and stuff it's sort of yeah yeah i kind of had that i don't remember exactly what was in my head like for playing bass i think um part of it was like like you know some of the albums that I did get from my dad was like Cream, like this Israeli Gears, mm-hmm. you know, like with uh, Jack Bruce on bass, and I really liked liked that and um, some other stuff like that. So I was like, oh, I'm gonna play bass. My friend was supposed to play guitar so we could start a band, but then he never really did it. Yeah. And then yep. I ended up like uh, just been like started, you know, playing my dad's guitar, and then I eventually like I got my own you know <laughs> yeah I was sort of similar for me as well like I did bass for a couple of years and then I guess the creativity 
um, the need to create sort of sunk in. So I guess I moved to guitar so I could sort of write music and whatnot as well. It's not really bass. I mean, some people do write on bass, but I guess I think maybe it was just a way to get into it. And then I think guitar was probably what I should have done originally. But what do you do? Yeah, I think it's good to have both. And I mean, I still, mm. you know, I like playing bass to this day. I do, I actually enjoy playing the bass. And, yeah. You know, certain types of things, um, like of the, uh, my post punk stuff, uh, I pretty much always would do the bass first. Even if I wrote the song on guitar, yeah. I'd always record the bass first and then do the guitar parts over it because sometimes it gives you a bit more freedom. And that kind of style, like the bass. You can write stuff on bass with post punk and then do. Yeah, yeah, I totally get that. Actually, I can certainly hear that because a lot of it's sort of written around the bass and the guitar just sort of, you know. Yeah, the guitar a lot of times plays like you know single note riffs like on top of the bass and bass drives exactly a lot of that kind of music. The bass does drive a lot of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Every once in a while, I can I'll bring that into black metal, but usually I write black metal on my guitar. But I still try yeah, to, try to do. Generally, bass and black metal for me, I tend to tend to model like a lot of my bass playing off of um, Demon's Tourist, Satanas. Like that's probably one of my favorite bass type of performances. You know, I'd have to agree wholeheartedly. There, I'm actually unsure whether the bass lines were written by Varg or whether they were um, sort of predetermined before he started to play in the band. I but, think, yeah, I really like the bass lines on that I and think, the bass sound too. Yeah, I think that um, from what I heard, heard from both Varg and then also even, like, uh, Hal Hammer and them was that uh, um, certain songs that, that they had played with Necro Butcher, like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Freezing Moon, yeah, like that, uh, you know, th- those those ones, they, they're pretty much written. But I guess, like... Um, some of the other songs like that were newer or that Necro like had left before they really solidified yeah. them. Like Varg came up, Varg did most of the, the writing, like on a lot of those songs. So yeah. it's kind of, like, think, kind of yeah. equally, you know? Yeah. I like the fact that they left his bass lines on there too. Yeah. So now it's kind of funny for, for Necro Butcher, you know, like, you know, I saw them do the, Demonstrious Thumbsathanas tour where they played the album from getting in. Yeah, I saw that as well. Actually, when they came to Australia. Yeah, yeah which that was a, that was like a that was like a spiritual experience for sure to be to go and see that that album played from getting in. Do you know? Yeah, that was like my version yep. of going to church or something. I remember like <laughs> I stood up, much. I stood right up front. I think on like telox side of the stage. Like I was literally in the front front for that. Yeah, because I, I just wanted to watch them perform and just forget about all the stupid people at the show you know what i mean <laughs> yeah yeah I, I was in a very like uh misanthropic mood that night where i, I was just like did not feel like doing with all the stupid people because unfortunately yeah. that show brought out a bunch of idiots you know along with all yep. the real people so it was like i was getting the nature of the people. beast <laughs> nature of the beast unfortunately people there's there were some people actually trying to mosh to Demon Stirrus which I made a post about that the next day. I was like, to all the people moshing at Demon Stirrus like, you are a poser. <laughs> yeah. I don't like, know. Like, that is, that is poser behavior, because if you think about the fact that 
that uh you know death like silence was anti-mosh you know what i mean <laughs> exactly exactly they've missed the point altogether yeah it's not music to have fun to you like it's not, it's not no fun. exactly it's anti-fun yeah no fun and this guy like commented on was like got mad at me and called me like elitist and stuff and then i literally posted the thing like no mosh no fun no court you know mm. this guy did not get the did not get it he was just a fucking idiot yeah I actually think I went with my eldest son. Uh, I took him along because he must have been over 18 at the time. And, yeah, yeah, he really liked it as well. It was very, very good moment for him to see, you know, one of the bands that he'd gotten into in person. So, yeah. Was, I'd was, seen him before with uh, Maniac on vocals uh, quite a few years earlier. Okay, yeah. I never got to see them with Maniac because I think the first time I saw Mayhem was in – uh, I actually didn't see them until I th- they, they they toured with uh, it was after Attila rejoined so and it was mm-hmm. um for warfare so it was like ah, yeah. 2014 or something like that they they came mm-hmm. on tour with Watain and the Revenge yep that was, which was a really killer show because I was I was I was excited to see Revenge you know like when's the chance I'm going to see Revenge live you know what I mean yeah. And, yeah, it's pretty extreme. Yeah, I'm a, a big fan of of Revenge. So it was cool, and uh, I felt like I was probably one of only like maybe two people who even knew who they were at that show. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. make anybody else cared. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was awesome. But yeah, that you know, so yeah, I think my favorite time seeing Mayhem was the, the Mysterious show, just because you know I liked the the whole feeling of it, you know. Yeah, I did too, actually. It was good to finally see it after that amount of time. Uh, what year was it? It was probably around 2017 or 2018 they played in Australia. Yeah, I think they, like when I saw them, it was 2017. Yeah, must have been around the, yeah. I think it was summer, so it was around the start of the year or at the end of the year, so. Yeah, yeah, I mean. Yeah, I just like that they they did it properly of like the robes and they just kept the atmosphere throughout the whole thing, you know. Yeah, they had the purple lights and everything, which gave it that feeling of the album. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, you could tell Attila was like really trying to t- channel the same feelings that he had when he made when he was like yeah. channeling the lyrics, you know. Yeah, totally, and that's I mean, what made it important. Yeah, to me, to me, like. When I see black metal live, I, that's like my favorite feeling is when you see a band and they feel like they're like possessed by the music. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's right. It shows that they're actually, you know, it's not just a, a hobby for them. It's a lifestyle. You know, it's a spiritual experience playing the music that they've created. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things about seeing Watain live, for example. Like, mm. it's the intensity and atmosphere they create, you know. Yeah, I've only seen them once, and it was in a very small venue, so obviously it was just like a real club sort of atmosphere. There was no fire or anything like that. It was just, you know, it was very um, compact, but it was still, you know, still very powerful. Did it smell like death? (laughs) With the amount of people sweating in that small venue, it certainly smelled like death. Well, I mean, like... like... (laughs) A lot of the shows like um, have yeah. this—they literally sense of decay. Like they've, particularly mm. now, they found some way. So like I've seen them like, three or four times. Uh, two mm. of the times was with fire, 
was in a big venue where they had the fire. Mm -hmm. I saw them for a while with Starkness, and it was like with all the fire and everything was awesome. It, it was like looked exactly like the Opus Diaboli DVD. But then the last time I saw them was in a small venue. And um, so they did a kind of a different tactic with that one. They didn't have fire. But literally, mm -hmm. like, I don't know what they did, but they did something to like the the fog where mm. the fog literally smelled like rotting meat. Yeah, that's like so the, nice. The fog came out and it smelled like decay. Yeah, literally like it yeah. smelled like I mean that's that's decay. good. I can see the I can see the um see the value in that and adding that stench to the show just to create that atmosphere. But the smell yeah. of rotting meat, if you work at an abattoir, it's not the best smell. No, yeah. <laughs> Which I do. <laughs> yeah. And uh it was definitely like that kind of smell of like, you know, decay and yeah. so it created like a full dimensional experience, you know, which I did appreciate. It wasn't like so strong that you like wanted to be sick, which I have heard yeah. it can happen sometimes at some of their shows, but that one it was like yep. just like it's just that that smell and then it came out and just felt like like Eric looked like he was like fucking literally just possessed in that show and it was just like everybody seemed to be in a trance like who's watching the show you know what I mean like there definitely yeah. wasn't any moshing you know what I mean like everybody was like fucking like just like just, transfixed by this energy you know and that's what I think is better like I don't understand I, I mean you know yeah black metal is not really moshing music is you know no not at all yeah I don't want to sound like a what's the latest term a gatekeeper, but but but, <laughs> but black metal is not for everybody. There's an elitist quality exactly to sense, you know exactly. Like, That's right. I did. I've never been to a, a show. Generally, the only time that I've seen people moshing to black metal stuff is if it's like a, a mixed bill, where there's death metal bands as mm. well, and so you get death metal yeah. showing up. Yeah, I don't think they understand really. But anytime you go to a show that's purely black metal, like there's no mosh, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, well, the last show I played was in Sydney. You know, there was four pure black metal bands, and you know there was very little moshing going on. A few people head banging and whatnot, but that was about it. You know. Yeah, I feel like black metal is the kind of music that you know I I get head banging to some parts and yeah, you know whatever. But definitely, I don't. Black metal is not mosh music, you know? Not at all. Like, I don't even have any hair to bang anyway, so I just nod my head. Yeah. <laughs> and watch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. I just, for me, like, I just don't think black metal is... I feel, like, I feel like people should be more transfixed by it and have a kind of some type of spiritual experience, you know? Yeah. But, you know, nah. That's, that's my opinion, at least. Like, you know, I get moshing to death metal. That's what death metal is there for, but don't mm -hmm. need a black metal show. No. <laughs> yeah, if you go and see suffocation or something, go for your go go your hardest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. My friend told me he went and saw Deicide last year, I think, and he told me that the whole venue was a mosh pit, basically. <laughs> yeah, right. He's like, <laughs> he's like, I had to go up by a stand by the bar because he like because he got. Blew his knee out like at the show. You yeah, know, right. Like because like, it was just like the whole venue was like everybody's going crazy. <laughs> yeah, I found, actually, I actually flattened somebody during a deicide show in Melbourne many years ago. Oh, really? <laughs> guy, yeah, a guy. I was in because I, I drove down with a bunch of bandmates that I was in a band with at the time. This is probably 
around 2008 or something and we drove down in my 68 Fairlane which was like a big boat with a V8 and everything drove down to Melbourne in that and there'd been a lot of bushfires in Victoria around that time because again it was summer and the whole place was really smoky and yeah anyway they're watching Deicide play and then I was just there watching Glenn Benton and whatever and uh yeah some guy had the other guitarist in the band by the shirt and I'm like oh you know, he started, you know, this guy was in there. He was one of these guys, you know, really solid build and he had his shirt off and he was just sort of like trying to get people to fight him and stuff. So he uh, grabbed the wrong person, so I but he elbowed him straight in the face and flattened him and then about six people kicked the shit out of him and he got dragged <laughs> away. So it was yeah. great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then I went and got another beer and then continued to enjoy the show. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> Don't fuck yeah. with my mates. Yeah. You know, like... <laughs> yeah. That's one thing I don't like is when you get those type of assholes, you try to be like all tough, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the guys that were picking on were like half his size and, you know, and I was like, all right, I'm not going to handle this. I'm not going to take this for much longer. And, yeah, I seen another young fella that he'd been roughing up come in and give him a quick few kicks and then take off again. <laughs> he must have seen what had happened and gone, nice, I can get a bit of revenge. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I never understood those type of people like that, you know, and just like yeah. trying to like start shit of everybody, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's the last place. Like most most metal gigs are, you know, pretty mellow events. But I guess it depends. There's always an element of, you know, there's always idiots out there that miss the point. Yeah, most of, most metal shows that I've been to, you know, like, yeah, people get rough. You know, like, you know, people get kind of hurt in the mosh pit just because you're moshing and or whatever. People hurt each other on accident, really. You know, they're not really trying mm-hmm. to hurt each other. But then, no one's really fighting. But when you do no. see that, usually, um, times I've seen people fighting like that, it's usually because there's like a hardcore type band on the bill as well. So you get yeah. hardcore people show up. Or I remember um, Danzig did uh, a show where they had announced that he would they would play a Misfits set at the end of Doyle. Mm-hmm. So all the fucking, you know punk poser people who don't really like dancing showed up you know just to watch that set you know mm. and uh and so all of a sudden the venue was just kind of like got like kind of you know you had like the dancing fans who go to every show like i like i am like you're usually mostly more metal type of people right but then yeah. all these like punk people showed up uh, about halfway through the show and it mm. got really fucking like uh Started getting tense, and I—that's one show where I saw some fights break out because these punk people mm. were like picking fights with the metalheads and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, because there's some other I've, uh, people have shown me um, like uh, footage of some of these. Um, I'm not sure if they're deathcore bands or what they are, but where they like two sides of the venue basically run at each other, and they're all like swinging their legs and arms around wildly and doing all this crazy shit. I don't sort of get that. I don't get, it. I don't get it at all. I think it's idiotic. Yeah, I think it's rather stupid personally, you know. Yeah, it's like this. If any of these fools went to one of our shows and tried to act that way, they'd probably, yeah. They get fucking flattened for sure, yeah. They'd get put into some kind of submission <laughs> hold. And <laughs> Yeah, it's like, don't you're not doing your stupid kung fu kicks and stuff at a blackmail show, like, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Half the band, half of my band are right into their Brazilian jiu-jitsu and things like that, so. Yeah, that's the thing, like, I've only been to, I went to, um, 
one of the times I saw Cannibal Corpse, my friend and I got mm -hmm. free t free tickets. But unfortunately, yep. Cannibal Corpse was the only death metal band on a lineup. The head the headliner was Hatebreed. And oh, then, there was, then there then there was before Cannibal, there was a whole host of horrible fucking hardcore metalcore bands. It was just yep. horrible. And that was we unfortunately got we we tried to get there late, but we still got there early enough to have to sit through like two bands. Mm -hmm. And it was probably one of the most unpleasant things I've had to deal with is dealing with all the fucking <laughs> bro bro people bro core like hardcore people. Uh -huh. Yeah, so I hated them. Like it was like and and uh, yeah, I mean there was like a handful of people who were there to see Cannibal, like death metal people, and and the rest of the venue was just full of these like bro core people. Listen, like because I think one of the bands was that horrible band Unearth. And, uh, uh, I'm not really familiar with them. I think I've heard the name, but yeah, it's horrible. It's literally one of the most garbagey things I've ever heard in my life. I hated them, but like having to sit through that, like I was like, this is and deal with those fucking idiotic people that like that kind of music. You know what I mean? Like was was a challenge. Like we, yeah, I was like, like I would not have gone if we didn't have free tickets. I mean, we only yeah. went because we got free tickets and it was cannibal. I mean, and if they, someone gave me a free ticket to see Cannibal Corpse, I'd probably go along. I must admit, yeah. Yeah. So we we went, but literally as soon as Cannibal Corpse got done, we fucking left as fast as possible. Yeah. <laughs> I would have done the same. Yeah. yeah. I only saw him saw him once. I think back in ninety ninety five. I think. Yeah. I think Chris Barnes. Yeah, Chris Barnes was still on vocals. It was um the Bleeding Tour. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I never I've mm. seen them with with Corpse Grinder. I've seen them two or three times. Yep. The problem with with Cannibal is that they're like with Corpse Render, they're exactly the same every time. They change a couple songs, but mm. the show is basically the same. You know, mm. they come out, they blast through almost the same set. You know, maybe a few different yeah. songs, and yeah, it's good. It's really good. You know, it's definitely. You know, uh, like you know, it's like you know, they're like a fucking bulldozer. But it's like yeah. I don't have. Oh, like, they're very professional. They're very yeah. professional. I just don't. They're one of those bands where I, at this point, I'd only really go if they're playing with a few other bands yeah. that I like to see. You know what I mean? Yeah, and you you know what you're gonna get. I mean, I, th I think I think they've actually gotten a little bit better having Eric Rutan on guitar because I think he's sort of given the, the latest album they did. Like, I'm not by any means a huge Cannibal Corpse fan. I do like some of their albums and whatnot, and some of the early ones from you know, back in the 90s, uh, you know, a sentimental favourites because I was quite young when they would come out and whatnot. But that latest stuff with Eric Rutan actually sounds pretty solid to me. Yeah, the new album that just came out, I think, is mm. probably one of the best things they've done. And, like, it's up, you know, it's up there and one of the best things they've ever done, in my opinion. Like, yeah, because, totally. it, because it has that Eric Rutan, like, darkness to it, you know? Exactly. Because you know, I, I really yeah. like I like Hate Eternal a lot, and I think Eric mm. Ten brings that kind of a little bit more evil to what they're doing. Does that make sense? In all honesty, he's probably the best death metal frontman I've seen live. Um, when I seen Hate Eternal when they toured Australia, um, I think it was maybe two thousand and six or some. It was quite a long time ago, but he was such a good frontman like such a presence so aggressive and the fact that he's the only guitarist in the band and does all the vocals he's just 
he puts everything into it and, you know, he's got this gigantic mouth and his vocals are just so powerful. He's just an absolute beast live. Yeah. I, I saw, I'm pretty sure it was Hate Eternal opening for Morbid Angel. <laughs> yeah, right. And that would like, be cool. Yeah, I think it was in 2013. I'm pretty, I'm yep. pretty sure it was Hate Eternal. Um, but yeah, it was a killer show. Like, mm. Morbid Angel, that was when um, David Vincent rejoined for a little while. Mm-hmm. And um, they were touring for the anniversary for Covenant, for 20th yep. anniversary. And uh, they played that album from beginning to end and then did another whole set of stuff from their whole career. So they played everything. Like, they even played a couple of songs off of Gateway's Annihilation. They played. Oh, cool. They played basically at least one song from each one of their albums, you know. Except for the mm. album. <laughs> yeah. That's probably the only one I don't like. Yeah. So it was pretty cool. I mean, they, yeah, because they, they did the first part of it was all Covenant. And then they, then they kind of went backwards or they played like the first song from Gateways Annihilation. And then they kind of went back and they played stuff from, you know, Domination, like Where the Slime Lives. And they played like, you know, and then they closed out the show with stuff from Altars of Madness. So yeah. Cool. It was really, Really sick show. It's the only time I've seen Morbid Angel, but it was like up there with one of the best shows I've ever seen. They could have played even longer, you know? Mm. They've always been my favorite death metal band for sure. Morbid Angel. Yeah. Yeah. They're my favorite death metal. Them and Incantation are my two favorite death metal bands. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to say I really like Deicide as well. Yeah. Deicide's up there. Probably my favorite death metal bands would be like, uh, Warbird Angel, Incantation, Immolation, Deicide. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, and I've gotten into more into Hate Eternal recently. I think they're up there too, like because I hadn't really gotten into like listening to their albums until like this year. Okay. But yep. you know, like I you know, I kind of had listened to them here and there, but really like went through and been listening to all their albums this year and I was like really like, man, these they're this shit's sick, you know. Yeah, that um, that um, I Monarchs a beast of an album. That Behold Judas. That's such a such a good song. Yeah, I just love how fucking unrelenting and brutal it is. And you know, mm-hmm. like, yeah, I think I think when I saw them live, they, they had Derek Roddy playing drums from too. So that was pretty good. Yeah, and then the songs are catchy at the same time. And then like, there's a little bit of that kind of black metal darkness in in what what he's doing too i feel like you know yeah yeah totally the first one's really good too that conquering the throne yeah that's a really sick album Mm. yeah i definitely i think that's that's kind of the 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 connecting link between all my favorite death metal for most part is that most of it is kind of more kind of black metal in in tone you know (laughs) yeah i think i'd have to i'd probably have to agree to be honest i'm not really into too much sort of of the the gory, splattery sort of st- side of things. I prefer the more, you know, mystical side of death metal. Yeah. Like the most like on the, you know, more traditional, like I guess death worship side of things, you know, I like, like mm. grave, you know, I like. The yeah. Record, grave was great. You know, particularly like end of the grave, the first album. And then I'm, you mm. know, as, and I, and then you know like um, I don't know I like Asphyx a lot they're a bit more traditional yeah. death metal but uh, yeah it's kind of, I'm not really in super into the kind of I don't like gore death metal very much you know 
No, I don't really either, to be honest. With the occasional exception, like I, I love sort of um, Symphonies of si- Sickness by Carcass, but, I mean, that was the band that sort of started that style. Yeah. I've never really gotten into Carcass, really, to be honest. Mm. But, uh, but I, yeah, Symphonies of Sickness I uh, I do have to listen to, and I know it's, it's a pretty good album. Yeah, it's very yeah. That's probably their best one, but you know, for me personally, but yeah, yeah. I guess um, yeah. When it comes to like the yeah, that kind of that kind of side of things, I guess I like the stuff that feels like like a, like you know, band like Grave or whatever. That's got this kind of more rotting feeling to it, you know. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, it feels a little bit more like a Fulci movie, you know, like yep. Then yeah, I guess then a score splatter thing like that's kind of. Yeah, more my vibe is like that kind of Lucio Fulci, like zombies rising from some decrepit graveyard type of death metal. Like when it comes yeah. to death metal, you know, <laughs> mortician. <laughs> yeah, oh uh, yeah, mortician are great. You know, like yeah, I love mortician. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like I like that stuff that has that kind of that kind of feeling more than like I don't know. I'm not. It's yeah. sort of like horror movie death metal rather than like gore death metal i guess exactly as i was just about to say like yeah. the kind of horror movie death metal yeah as, as opposed to yeah the gore gore grind gore death metal i'm not oh, I, don't, I don't like any of that stuff really yeah i don't relate to it at all and then then you have some the, of it some of it flirts with a few subjects that i think is a bit you know a bit too edgy for my liking so i sort of stay away from it yeah me too yeah, and I really don't like porno grind stuff. Like, yeah, that's exactly what I was referring to. Like, yeah, the porno grind and all that sort of crap. I think it's, you know, pretty immature yeah. and pointless. And for me, like, it, it kind of, that's when, you know, I have, you know, it kind of crosses that line where it's like, you know, eventually just kind of seems like, um, I don't know. It seems like misogynistic in a way that I'm that I don't like and uh, particularly yeah. to. And it also has like, I don't know. I just don't understand like what's the attraction of writing about like, you know. I I just don't like that kind of kind of stuff where it's like just writing about like raping and murdering women and stuff. I just don't. I don't. Yeah, not what I think it's abhorrent. Yeah, like if I were to meet somebody who's like really into that kind of stuff, like and listen to it all the time, I I would not be friends with that person because I'd be worried about (laughs) about that they're like you know fantasizing about that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, totally. I guess it's different from from the kind of extremity of black metal, like we were talking about earlier. You know that you see on like. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like those lyrics are more based in mysticism. And they're coming from a dark, from a, you know, the inspirations from a different place. It's not just mindless violence. Yeah. It's not like fantasizing, you know, so much yeah. like gore grind and porno grind stuff feels like this kind of like in, like fantasizing about like murdering women and stuff. And I just feel like uncomfortable with that because I just feel like, um, yeah, like I said, mm. I, Somebody who's really in that kind of stuff, I feel like probably isn't the type of person you wanna you wanna be friends with. Yeah, <laughs> and I guess and I guess those kind of people watch films that are sort of similar to that as well, like some of those really extreme kind of gore films, and that don't interest me too much either. Me neither. I'm not really into that kind of extreme that kind of stuff. Like, you know, like I would say, like when I was in my twenties, like 
my natural state is more, you know, that type of, you know, particularly like gothic horror or, you know, like some of the yeah. 80s horror stuff, like, you know, probably the, the most I get to and that kind of stuff would be like some of the old 80s slashes I like, like, you know, Friday the 13th or something, but I'm not, Yeah, my taste generally tends to not, I'm not into gore for the sake of gore. For the sake of gore. Yeah, there's always that element of mysticism and there's a supernatural element in horror that I enjoy. But when it's just straight up what a person, you know, torturing another person, like that's that's sort of something that can be done any day of the week, really. It's a real thing that people can and do. Whereas like horror movies that are sort of based around, you know, the supernatural are a bit more creative and like, you know, I find they're a lot more enjoyable than the ones that are just straight up basically snuff films. Exactly. Like I find the kind of supernatural weird horror type of stuff to be like, you know, like inspiring in so many ways. Yeah, exactly. But like stuff that's just like extreme for the sake of being extreme. I just, I just, I just think it's stupid, really. I just think it's boring. Mm. You know, it doesn't do anything. Yeah, I've never, like, I, I even, like, yeah, movies like Saw and Hostel and, like, The August Underground and things like that, they're, they're not really movies I kind of get into at all. Yeah, particularly, like, yeah, something like August Underground or Hostel, you know. Mm. Like, the first two Saw movies are pretty good, but mm. after that they just start to turn into more, like, straight-up, Tortury movies, you know, like they're just like bad. yeah, which I don't. I don't, I don't see. Like that I don't see the value in watching that sort of stuff for me personally. Yeah, I'm not in, into that. Like, I, I, you know, I'm much more into. I want. I'm probably much more likely to watch like a Hammer horror movie or mm. you know some like movie about like some type of satanic stuff or vampires or. I'll just pull or, out or ghosts. the Evil Dead. The Evil Dead. You can't go wrong with the Evil Dead or Hellraiser. The classics. The classics are there. Exactly. Yeah. Evil Dead. Hellraiser. Mm. You know, like yeah. Reanimator. I love that one as well. Reanimator. Yeah. I really yeah. love like haunted house movies. You know. Like... Yeah, there was really some really good haunted house movies I enjoyed. Like when I was a kid in the eighties, like there was the movie House and Amityville Horror and things like that. Yeah, they were like uh, the um, the changeling and uh, yeah, shining stuff like that. You know, like yeah, shining's a great movie. Yeah, like you know, my favorite horror movie of all time is probably The Exorcist. You know, like yeah, that's a must-have. Like, I don't have a massive DVD collection. I have got quite a few, but I've got like all those on DVD, like The Exorcist. Chain, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Evil Dead, Hellraiser, you know, all those. Yeah. Yeah. Staples. Yeah. And I'm I'm a big fan of like Lucio Fulci, like I mentioned earlier, because I think mm-hmm. Fulci does a good job of, of it's like got this kind of mystical, dark, weird fiction feeling to it. But then it's also got these kind of gory scenes that are yeah. kind of beautiful in a weird way, too. You know, and that's the thing. Yeah. I'm, and that's fine if it's in the right context. Yeah, like the Italian yeah. stuff, I feel like, like, you know, Suspiria and Inferno and, you know, like the Argento stuff and the, and the Fulci stuff or whatever, like, they just find this, like, really cool way of kind of, like, even when they are kind of gory, like, it's not really, like, in a, you know, kind of gratuitous, like, stupid way, you know what I mean? 
Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Like, you've hit the nail on the head there. I'm not saying I'm afraid of gore or I won't watch gore, but I think it's the intent behind it. Yeah, I just don't want to watch a movie that that's the only purpose behind it. Yeah, there like, needs to be some kind of a story. Yeah, like, I'm just not interested in watching a movie of somebody torturing another person, like... Nah. Even, or even like something like that movie Barbarian that came out. Like a lot of people I know like that movie, and I didn't really like that movie very much personally. You know, mm-hmm. I haven't seen it. Yeah, like I don't know. Like I guess like I'm not too interested in in human, just basic human evil. I like stuff that has a bit more of a cosmic evil feeling. You know. Yeah, that's exactly right, and I think that that's yeah that that you hit the nail on the head there. Without that supernatural element, it's just you know. Yeah, it's like it's like, um, like Thomas Carlson in his introduction to his book, Well, Cliff Off and Gothic Magic, talks about the difference between the gray human evil of like concentration camps and you know, yeah, all this kind of stuff, and then the kind of obsidian black cosmic evil of like Satan and these things, and they're being completely different things, and that's what I think, you know, and that's kind of what I want related into my into what I watch, you know what I mean, like. Yeah, horror. I feel like I want to watch something that really is kind of cosmic. Yeah, horror, as opposed to cosmic darkness, cosmic evil, as opposed to just watching the gray evil human of humans. De- you know, <laughs> human depravity. Exactly. I don't. I don't really find very much inspiring about human depravity. You know what I mean? Mm. I did, however, enjoy the Dharma um, miniseries. I thought that was extremely well done. I haven't actually seen that, but I heard it's like really like heavy feeling. Oh, it really stayed with me actually, because uh, I had back surgery just over a year ago, and it was I watched it just before I had the surgery, and I remember going into getting the anaesthetic and stuff, and I was like freaking out, thinking, "Ah, oh, no," you know, I was thinking, you know, I was just messing with my mind, thinking about you know how the Jeffrey Dahmer, you know, um, drugged the guys. You know, and they were helpless, pretty much. Like they yeah. didn't feel a thing when they were killed, but I mean, I felt like it was in the back of my mind when I was going under. Did the did the did the did the show so talk about how he was like obsessed with the Emperor from Star Wars and like wanted to create like this like um he like wanted to create like this kind of throne of of human skulls so he could tap into some yeah. type of evil power or something like that. Did Honestly, it was one of the best sort of serial killer shows I've ever seen. I guess, I mean, uh, I, I guess it, it does show human depravity, but I guess it's more factual. It's like, because it's something that's actually happened and it was based on a true story. I'm, you know, they have yeah. taken certain liberties to make it more watchable and they've sort of, put a few characters into one just to make the show flow a bit better and things like that. But I think they um they did an exceptional job casting that guy because he you couldn't have got anyone that could have played someone like Jeffrey Dahmer as well as that guy did. Right. Yeah, I feel like I feel like there are a few exceptions to like what we're talking about, but but it's mm. something like that or like maybe for me like Silence of the Lambs or Yeah. You know, certain things. But I feel like those movies aren't also like gratuitous just like excuses to show somebody torturing somebody else you know what i mean <laughs> oh exactly there's a lot of there's a lot of um background story and there's a lot of different elements to it which made it more of an enjoyable watch and yes there is that kind of violence but because of the storyline itself it made it you know 
I feel like in those cases you're you can kind of look at it like it's like dealing with with certain issues and the human experience and that kind of stuff you know what i mean like there's like a purpose to it you know yeah exactly and i think that it was a good way to tell the story as well i think it was relatively accurate i think um you know they did a good job of casting his father and everything like that as well and a lot of it seemed i know one of the things that he like always said was talking about people going into the vortex you know which i just think is a really fascinating thing that's the thing about some of those guys like particularly Dahmer, is that he he was kind of like a next level of like he had like aspirations to something more than what he was doing if that makes sense you know (laughs) Mm. yeah yeah it wasn't yeah exactly it was like it was like there was something else going on with him that was like really kind of made it even creepier i feel like you know (laughs) very much so yeah and a lot of people I knew had the same thing. It sort of like led them down a bit of a rabbit hole on, you know, watching other serial killer documentaries and movies and whatnot. And I mean, that's something I've read about for, you know, probably nearly 30 years personally. I've read a lot of those kind of books and things like that. Yeah, me too. I mean, I've read a lot about the serial killer stuff. I mean, you get kind of fascinated with it at a certain point. I kind of like moved away from that kind of stuff as uh, over the years, but... Yeah, yeah, I must admit I've done the same thing, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I definitely, I mean, had my periods of time where I'm, like, really in, into true crime stuff and serial Yeah, and it's stuff. fascinating for sure. Yeah, and, then, you know, and I've also, you know, big fan of, like, noir, film noir and stuff like that as well, like crime yeah. movies. So, yep. a lot of that kind of stuff I see a little bit different. Like, you know, like, something like that, or even Silence of the Lamb, something like that, I, I feel like you're dealing with a little bit of a different idea because you're doing with it's more of a crime thing. It's not really a horror, yes. you know? So I don't yeah. really, I don't even really see it in the same field as like a horror movie. If that makes sense. Yeah. It is almost like a true crime. It's a psychological thriller slash true crime slash horror in a way. Exactly. You know, so yeah. in some ways it's almost like a separate thing from what we're talking about with like when it comes to horror proper, you know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, they're kind of a little bit separate. Like, um, you know, there's a big world of difference between Silence of the Lambs and August Underground. You know? I haven't actually seen those movies, but I've I've heard about them and I've read about them. But yeah, I don't I, don't think they're very easily to come by. I haven't seen them either, but I don't want to. From what I've heard about them, <laughs> no, I've, re- I've re- yeah, they don't sound very pleasant. Yeah, my friend, my friend Mike Hill from the band Tombs, you know, like yep. I think he, um, he and uh, they covered one of them on Necromaniacs a long time ago, and they're like, yeah, oh, this okay, is just, cool. This is just like, uh, they, yeah, they didn't have very uh, great things, they, you know. It was just like, you know, people being tortured and stuff. Like, mm. I think he don't. I think he told me that that kind of like kind of was getting out of that kind of like extreme cinema at the time as well. You know what I mean? You kind of get, I feel like there's a period like that in your life sometimes where you kind of like go down that route and then you figure out it's not for you, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's how I feel about that kind of stuff. Like I, w- I went down a little period where I was watching stuff like the Hills have eyes and all the kind of extreme cinema stuff. And then I kind of got to the point where I was like, you know, I, I really don't like this kind of stuff very much doesn't really mm. i mostly was watching because my ex was into that kind of stuff yep and uh 
just wasn't for me. Like, it didn't feel like natural to me. You know, once we broke up, I never watched any of that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Know, you kind of go back to like what's natural for yourself to watch. And it's like, it's yeah, exactly. Definitely, definitely not something like that, you know? Yeah. And I'm one of those people that loves to revisit movies or I have favorite movies and I'll, you know, I prefer to watch the same movie 10 times that I know I'm going to enjoy than something I'm not sure about. So it's nice just to go back to the ones that, you know, give you, you know, fond memories of when you were younger and whatnot. Yeah, I'm the same way, you know. I've, there's mm. some movies that I literally watch every year, you know. Like, yeah. Like during Halloween time, like now, like try to watch a horror movie like as much as possible, it goes as close to every day if I can. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of those are ones that I've seen plenty of times, but I, you know, I never get tired of, you know. Yeah. Like, I mean, I've probably seen The Exorcist every year, you know, since I was a kid. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Evil Dead's definitely that movie for me. Yeah, it's one of them for me as well. I, I watch the movie all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen it in a while, but um, I'll have to, I'll have to, yeah, I'll have to get it back out and watch it again. Actually, I might have to watch it with my youngest son because I'm not sure if he's seen that one yet when he comes and stays with me next time. Yeah, you should, you know, like... Um, yeah, he's, he's almost 15, so he's probably at a good age where he could watch it. Yeah, it's probably... I think I saw Evil Dead around that, that time. I was probably, like, somewhere between 13 to 15. I don't remember exactly. Yeah. But uh, I remember going on um, this this thing where I was, like, um, uh, renting movies that... Uh, trying to, like, get caught up on, like, horror movie classics that I hadn't seen yet at that time Mm -hmm. so i remember watching like the evil dead and dawn of the dead and the original halloween and and original Mm -hmm. texas chainsaw massacre and a lot of those just those like real classic big yeah ones that i hadn't seen yet when i was you know like around that age yep because you know i'd I'd seen like night of the living dead many times by the point and even like the exorcist and you know a lot of those movies but there's those those certain movies that you know I needed to get, wanted to get in, and you know, like yeah. it's probably about 13, yeah. 14, something like there's that. There's still a few, yeah, there's still a few that I've still got to catch up with that I haven't seen that I know are classics. Like, I still haven't seen um, Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah, movie's pretty, pretty rough. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, you have seen that one? Yeah. Yeah. But I, I haven't seen a rap. I was showing yeah, Sa- Sans uh, Animal Killing just because I didn't feel like watching that part of it, but. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, and I haven't, I haven't, I know it's a little bit different, but I haven't seen a razor head yet. I've really been meaning to get onto that one as well. That's a great one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's, I mean, that's like just us. I guess it's kind of horror, but yeah, there's still a few, still a few, um, that I need to get a copy of and watch. Yeah, I consider razor head horror for sure. Yeah. The, um, yeah, I remember, yeah, Evil Dead made a real big impact, you know, it was, I remember watching. Oh, it. yeah, it did did for me too i kind of found it amusing at the same time like even though the second one and the third one obviously there was a bit more of a comedic element i guess with my sort of sick twisted sense of humor i kind of got that out of the first movie as well even though it probably wasn't as intentional yeah i definitely i think the i felt i always kind of saw that with it i think the very first time i watched evil dead i think it, it probably scared me the most out of it but after you watch yeah it, more times 
you know, you start to, I've started to see more of the kind of humor even in the first movie, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so did I. Yeah. Yeah. And um it's it's my favorite out of the series for sure. I mean, I actually oh, have me too. I actually have like the you know, the Necronomicon edition of the DVD that has like the the book, you know? Oh, awesome. Yeah, like has like the texture like outside that kind of looks like the Necronomicon. That'd be awesome. Yeah, I really I I found it like for not very much as store. I was like, it's like awesome. I got this now. <laughs> I think I bought it many, many years ago on VHS, but it actually came with like the PlayStation One game of the Evil Dead. I bought that, and it, they came together in a packet, oh, like cool. in a package together. Yeah, I never actually played that game, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, um, I don't really think I played it that much either. I think I was just more excited to have it. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, yeah. I remember watching. I, it's actually kind of funny because I, I, I was thinking about it. I was like, I think I probably saw Army of Darkness when I was a mm. kid. Yeah, because I, I kind of remember seeing it. Like, cause like there's images from it that I like, distinctly remember watching when I was a kid. Because, so I probably actually saw that first, but didn't really when you're like six years old or something, you don't realize, you know, you yeah. don't, I don't know what evil dead is. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But that's the thing of army of darkness is that, yeah, like that's totally, I think an approach, you know, you can be a little kid and watch a movie and, and yeah, it. I think I played it to my, my kids when they were quite young as well, to be yeah. honest. <laughs> like, like I, my dad was a big fan of Bruce Campbell. Yeah, I am too. Actually. I really like him. Yeah. I think I love, I love him. He's a great actor. And so, like, mm. he was at a show called Briscoe County Junior on TV here around that time as well. And I do remember, oh, okay. uh, I do, so I remember him from that show. And then I remember, I do remember seeing Army of Darkness as like a little kid. Um, so yeah, so then it was like later on when I was a bit older, I actually went finally went and watched Evil Dead One. You know, the original. Yeah. Like yeah, which yeah, I still, like I said, it's my favorite. Um, I've always been kind of thrown off by Evil Dead 2 because you know you don't know if it's like is this a it's almost feels like a remake, you know? <laughs> it does in a way, yeah. It's like a slot because it's in the same house and it sort of but the movie doesn't build up as slowly, it just sort of goes, Oh, yep, one minute they're sitting there like you know, having fun, playing piano, the next thing, you know, she gets taken away and Well and I had heard and he that, cuts her head off, you know. Yeah, and I had heard that um it was originally just supposed to start at the um end of one you know where the thing comes at him yeah but and they were going to start it off with just clips from the first movie like how a lot of movies did back in the 80s Mm -hmm. but they didn't they couldn't get the rights or something like that like they weren't able to do that so they just Mm -hmm. decided to kind of do like the simplified recap of the first movie like in the first like you know 15 minutes yeah, because it, it seems strange to me that he'd want to return to the same house. Exactly. So it's like that's kind of why it's like that. Mm. Is they they just basically are like, oh, let's we'll just recap kind of like a real simplified, dumbed down version of the first movie. <laughs> you know, and that the the actual place where they filmed it is that in Tennessee, I believe. Yeah, I already filmed the first movie was in Tennessee. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the woods and everything in the forests in that movie were particularly frightening, but I'm not sure. Is that a 
is that place sorry is that typical of Tennessee as far as the landscape or yeah it's yeah <laughs> Tennessee it is pretty, so. pretty much yeah it's like that and they, they got they have mountains and when you drive through it's very thick heavy woods like that and you know they don't really have like real heavy mount big mountains like we have in Colorado but they're definitely got yeah got mountains you know and yeah um and yeah you'll drive down the roads and they'll cut through like these like rock rocky cliffs and you know thick mountains ah, okay course like that and stuff like that yeah yeah cool and um yeah unfortunately that that building burned down um in the 80s i think actually the the cabin oh no yeah but you can go to where it was and there's still like a part of the chimney still there and stuff i I watched a a video where a guy went and did a location video on youtube for for the evil dead and he went to where the cabin was and everything yeah cool it looks very atmospheric on the movie and like the way that that um you know the swinging chairs banging against the front of the house and everything like it's a pretty bloody sinister atmosphere they build yeah and the funny thing is that um if i remember correctly that 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 the the basement was actually filmed wasn't this in the building it was somewhere else mm. like you know when they go in the basement yep. so like so like the parts where she's like kind of like in the floor like it's because like there w- it was just kind of like i think like a little like root cellar or something you know <laughs> yeah so she was able to just like kind of stand there <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah it's a it's it's such a cool atmosphere i just love the the whole incantation like you know the whole part of like condor you know <laughs> yeah yep i do too i think i may have used that in an intro on one of the early in a, on a recording I did many years ago, I thought I'll have to um, pull out the the four track master and see oh, yeah. what it's on. I, I yeah, want, I've used it. <laughs> I one hundred percent used that on like one of the old recall cast demos. <laughs> yeah, that I haven't released yet. Yeah, <laughs> I think it might have been. Oh, I think I might have used the part where where they're playing cards and they're trying to guess the cards. And then I think it's Linda, she starts, like, guessing them all, and then she just, like, you know, suddenly turns into the demonic being and, like, comes up and is floating in midair, and she's like, yeah. Yeah, I know, yeah. And another band that used that incantation part, too, is the band Anal Vomit from Peru. (laughs) Ah, okay. On on their album Demonic Flagellations, which is a really killer kind of bestial album they have like probably one of the worst band names but that album is really great yeah i can't say i've listened to anal vomit myself <laughs> i guess you just get the the vibe of it being a gore grind band yeah exactly that's what you think it is but yeah. they're not they're like they're like misleading like bestial black metal stuff yeah it's kind of horrible name for that kind of stuff what, but what country are they from peru uh, it might have been a little bit of a language barrier thing too. Yeah, they, they might have started off more death metal than went then went down this other direction. But their album "Demonic Flagellations" like it's got a killer um, Chris Moynihan cover with like satanic nuns. Oh yeah, and, uh, yeah, no. It's yeah, highly recommend that album. And the, and it starts off with the the Evil Dead sample. So I'm trying to think who else used. It. I think was it. Um... Tormentor. I'm not sure. 
Oh, that, he had some similar vocals to the laughs and stuff on that as well. Yeah. Oh, no, sorry, it was morbid I was thinking of. Yeah. And then, of course, like Dia said, I think that song Dead by Dawn is inspired by it, right? Yep. Um, yeah, I'm sure there's a bunch of other bands use that sample, but, you know, it's okay. It doesn't matter to me. Like, bands use similar samples. Like, it just kind of, like, means they're on the same page. <laughs> Exactly. That, and, and it's nice because they're all classic movies, so I'm happy to hear it. Yeah, exactly. Like It's like the same thing with like the Fuck Me Jesus like sample from uh, Exorcist. Like, the Exorcist, yeah. You know, I, I one of my Rickwalkers demos I started off was that, and I liked the way that it sounded the song he did because it you know, didn't sound like Marduk doing a sample or some of the other bands. Yeah. Well, you know, like I did it my own way. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, uh, yeah, that, that's not, those are on the next round. I'm going to, it's funny because I'm going to, my next round of releases for Virtual Cast are going to be the actually the older ones. So <laughs> that's cool. The, yeah, should, looking forward to getting those out there too. But yeah, one, one of the first ones I did was had that as the intro. Yeah. I mean, it's, at the end of the day, I mean, it's basically public domain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in a way, I guess. Because <laughs> I think Mortician used quite a few intros and whatnot for some of their songs. Oh, yeah. I mean, they have songs that have longer intros than the song. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've been a lot with Mortician where you have like a minute or two minute like sample and then like a 30 second song. Yep. Yeah, I've never know. seen Mortician live, so. Me neither. But I heard like Will Reimer said, Will Reimer says he's like, he's like, it's because they're not really, to him, they're not really intros. It's part of the song is having these samples, you know? Yeah. It sets the mood. Yeah, exactly. Like, so that the samples are an essential part of like what they do, which is cool. Basically, exactly. Horror, death metal. Exactly. And, you know, somebody could listen to some of their albums that, you know, I saw got went and saw a movie because of a sample they had, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or it's even, it's cool, like, when you get more into, like, particularly, like, the weirdo, like, 70s, like, or 80s, like, um, Italian horror movies that they like and all that kind of stuff. And then you go back and re-listen to their music. You go, oh, now I know where that's from, you know? Yeah. Yeah, there's probably a few of those I haven't really seen. I'll probably have to check out a few. That's like that Suspiria and oh yeah, I definitely, movies like that. If you haven't seen Suspiria, I definitely recommend that one. It's a good one. Yeah, I haven't seen that. I have heard of it. It's it's quite an old film, but uh, I've not seen it. Yeah, I definitely recommend that one, and also Inferno from Dario Gento. Like those are yep. two great cool. album, great albums, great movies. Yeah. That, uh, I guess in this day and age with streaming services, like a lot of that sort of obscure stuff isn't really available. So you kind of got to dig for it and find a copy of DVD or VHS. Or... Yeah, it kind of depends. Like, and I don't know if, if in Australia, I don't know if you guys have uh, Shutter or Screenbox, which are two horror mm. movie streaming things we have here. I don't know if you guys got them. Ah, I'm not too sure. Yeah, but. It's good to have those ones because you know they'll get some more obscure stuff. But um, if if you do have it in Australia, but uh, yeah, some stuff is just not available anywhere. You know, like 
Like, I, mm. I don't think Suspiria is actually streaming anywhere mm. right now. Like, I think that's weird because there's quite a few movies that were banned back in the 70s in Australia and that we you couldn't even get them. Yeah, because Australia is kind of like England, right? Where they had like kind of like strict stuff about like what you can watch. And everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was like banned for quite a while. But when you watch that movie, there's actually very little actual violence. It's all suspense. Yeah, there's actually no blood in that movie at all. <laughs> Hardly any, yeah. Yeah. But they just managed to create this real feeling of dread and isolation. Yeah, yeah, that's the amazing thing about that movie is that there's like pretty much no blood and almost everything is like um is you know is you know like you don't see the girl get put on the on the, on the hook you know yeah stuff like that you know like you hardly and, even see uh leatherface really yeah and um it's it's just really effective and it makes people think mm. that they've experienced those things when they didn't you know yeah, exactly. I think, yeah, they just did a masterful job of creating suspense and just a feeling of ill ease and isolation being somewhere, you know, right off the grid and not being able to, you know, get help or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, in the end, the thing that's funny about that movie is that it's kind of the kid's fault that that happened to them in a way because they are like, yeah. went on these people's property and it's like walked right in their goddamn house, you know, like no sense yep. of like um like somebody saying in texas like you know really the family didn't break any laws really because they had to make my day law and stuff like that you know <laughs> mm. like if you like go yeah, on somebody's property you have the right to shoot him in texas you know yeah yeah so yeah <laughs> never been there myself <clears throat> yeah <laughs> it's not it's not you know nothing against you know, I know a lot of good, nice Texans, but I'm not a big fan of Texas personally, like just because of the heat. It's very yeah. I used to work for a company. I used to work for a company that was based in Houston, but I never got the opportunity to go over. I think it yeah it may have happened at some stage, but yeah, I no longer. Oh, it's been a long time since I worked in the oil and gas industry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just mostly just don't like the weather in Texas personally, like you know, because yeah. it's just hot and sticky pretty much all year. Oh really? Yeah, right. Yeah. So you know, even during the winter, it doesn't get right too cold there generally. Yeah, it's probably yeah. similar to Queensland, actually. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, mm. you can get cold. It can get cold sometimes during winter, but yeah, mm. particularly South Texas, it doesn't really. It's not going to be that cold, you know. Nah. It's very rare for them to get. I mean, a couple of years ago they had like snow, which they almost never have <laughs> a part of Texas, and everything shut down. <laughs> yeah, that was their shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, like all their electricity went out, and all this shit happened. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, they. Uh, I know that North Texas gets a little bit more like snow and stuff, but um, definitely not South Texas. It's quite a large state, though. It's very big. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah. I think uh, it's like the size of like I think France maybe is the same size or maybe two Frances I forget exactly but it's it's a pretty big state. Yeah, yeah. Takes a long time to drive through if you drive across it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like uh, f- at least a ten hour take a drive across, if not longer, to drive straight across. 
Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, I drove down to Sydney uh, about three or four weeks ago for a show down there, and it was a good 12-hour drive. I think I'm done for road trips for this year. After the one to Victoria and the one to Sydney, I've done enough. I've had enough of it. <laughs> yeah, you've been you've done a lot of driving in the last few months. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's been good in some ways. Like the one down to Victoria was good because I actually listened to a lot of podcasts and stuff, and I found that it, I kind of it helped me stay awake a lot more because I was sort of concentrating more. Yes, yeah, that's, that's the thing about uh, about podcasts it's nice like when you're driving mm. is that sometimes when i'm listening to music i'll start to you start to like zone into the music and maybe you start to yeah. zone out when you're driving you know and next yep. you know you're like oh fuck where when you listen to podcasts it kind of helps keep you more awake in my opinion yeah i've got a new formula that's been working the last few months i sort of listen to a podcast because i've got about a 50 minute drive to work it's through the country, so I listen to a podcast on the way to work and it sort of gets me more alert and gets the brain functioning and, you know. But then by the time I've had a day of work, I'm like, stuff this, I need some metal and it's just, you know, whatever yeah, I feel like listening to. Yeah, kind of the same way. I usually listen to podcasts first part of my day and then usually at the end of the day I'm putting on some music, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's I mean, time to unwind and, yeah, just enjoy enjoy life again now that the working day is done yeah because it's like you know my i my my work is pretty much you know driving all day so it's like uh i generally will tend to listen to more podcasts when i'm working and then put on music when i'm done you know mm. Just because, that's good that you've got the ability to do that at least you can sort of catch up and listen to your friends podcasts and things like that while you're still getting paid and then in your time you can sort of catch up on whatever music or whatnot you're into at the time yeah yeah it depends on my mood there's some days where i listen to music while i'm working too but i just find that yeah. listening to podcasts also helps time go by faster for some, for whatever reason it does it does actually I, I i listened to quite a few when i drove to victoria and i think it sort of helps me stay focused yeah, it just makes time go by faster where you're like, okay, now two hours are passed, you know, or whatever, you know what I mean? And then Yeah, exactly. You're just kind of like, you don't even realize that, you know, so it's real good for when you're working, I feel like. Mm. Yeah, it's sort of hard because with my job, I've sort of got to think a lot and I'll get distracted. <laughs> right, yeah, I don't have to, yeah, it's a bit different. I don't have to think of so much, yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, you know, driving, delivering packages, so. I can kind of listen to podcasts and it's actually better. I can yeah. zone into whatever I'm listening to and just do my job, you know? Yeah. No, that'd be good. But yeah, if you have to do a job where you have to actually really think about what you're doing, you're not going to be listening to podcasts while you work. <laughs> nah, not usually. Yeah. So kind of for certain, for other types of jobs. But um, yeah, I guess we'll close out here in a few minutes because I got to get to bed. So. Yeah, no worries. I think, I did wonder about how this podcast was going to go because um, Bathory The Return is a brilliant album, but, like, I think we said about everything we could say about it, you know what I mean? Like, there's not too much deeper we could have gone into it. Yeah, I figured the first part, you know, be more talking about the album and then kind of, mm -hmm. like, going off on tangents, which uh, is for... Ah, that's all good. Yeah, that's, that's kind exactly. of... Like, a lot of my podcasts kind of do that where we talk about the topic on hand and then kind of spiral off on other stuff the second half. Yeah. Which I kind of like doing that, you know, it's like, yeah. And uh, yeah, I feel like the return definitely is a great album. 
classic album, some of my favorites, but it's not quite as deep as, say, Under Funeral Moon. Mm. And yeah, exactly. Also, I don't have as much like Under Funeral Moon. I was able to listen to interviews of Fenris and listen to yeah, exactly Nocturno and yeah, and like read stuff in my books about them. You know, have a lot more information yeah. that I could share yeah. with. Unfortunately, with the return, particularly with the fact that a lot of the, the stuff that Quarthon wrote about it is not on the internet anymore, or I'd have to like dig more than I was able to. Yeah, like, I'd have to use like the Wayback Machine on Internet Archive or something to really try to find it, find that stuff in. So, don't have time. And to I guess, it. yeah, it's sort of more obscure in a way, and I, and I kind of like that. I mean. We don't have to know everything about everything in a way too. Like I kind of like that there's still some mystery around some of these albums because I think the internet's been one of the things that sort of demystified black metal in a big way. And I think, you know, that's a, there's a pros and cons in all those kind of regards. But I think, you know, with an album like Dee Mysterious, when we do that one, there'll be a lot more to talk about and it'll be a deeper conversation, I think, because a lot of the circumstances surrounding the album in itself yeah yeah i mean when we get into the mysterious which will probably be the next one that we do like it's gonna be a lot more it's like i know like a lot of stuff about that album and and mm. a lot of people don't talk about very much and yeah you know read so many you know heard from pretty much you know everybody from varg yeah. to snorri rook to hellhammer to attila like everybody involved yeah. with the album pretty much you know like and and the past and the creating of the album and, and the lyrics. And yeah, there's that one's going to be a lot more in depth about the album. I would imagine. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, I think we did pretty good talking about this album and, uh, you know, hopefully inspires people to go and listen to it more. Yeah. I hope so too. You know, got it, got it, go to the roots. When I first got into black metal, and this is kind of how I'm with any genre. I go to the roots. So pretty early on when I got into black metal, I, I got into Bathory because, you know, I'd read online about how they were like one of the, the founding bands. So Bathory and Celtic Frost were some of the first black metal things they ended up getting into after the first couple, you know, like hearing like Emperor and stuff, you know? Yeah. And um, yeah. yeah, I just, I don't know. I think it's really important to to go back to, back to the roots and and where the genre came from and, and do what those bands did back in the nineties and be inspired by, mm. by the original stuff and create your own thing from there, you know? Well, that's exactly why I bought the return for my son for his birthday. You know, he just turned 20, you know, he's, um, you know, he listens to plenty of, you know, he loves Dark Throne and Burzum and all of those kind of bands. But I said, well, you need to go back to the start. That's why I bought him that album. And he's like, okay, I get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You gotta go Pretty hard to argue. Yeah, you have to go back to those roots. I mean, all these bands, all the Norwegian bands, stuff like Marduk, all the bestial stuff we talked about, even like the Greek bands, like all these bands, mm. this is one of those DNA root albums for the entirety of black metal, you know, so it's really Agreed. important to listen to, you know. Agreed. And probably a fair few death metal bands too, in a way. Yeah, I mean, like a lot of those death metal bands were also influenced by Bathory too, so. Yeah, exactly. Particularly when you look at, you know, even their, yeah, probably not, you know, like, I mean, I think, uh, I remember a lot of those guys talking about being into all that kind of stuff and 
and you know yeah, bands like unleashed yeah exactly and mm. you know you know possessed are kind of like at the same time as Bathory, but you know i've always saw kind yeah. of like if like a connecting link between like say possessed seven churches and this album as well you know yeah i mean that's an absolute brilliant album too that's probably another good one but everyone yeah. sort of called that a death metal album, whereas if you look at the lyrics and they're 100% black metal. Yeah, I consider the album like a proto-black metal thrash album. You know, like, yeah. I, I don't... I know that, that Jeff Becerra called himself death metal and they had a song death metal, but that doesn't really make it death metal in my eyes. I kind of consider it a black metal album, really, you know? Yeah, fine. Like, it's just because, yeah, I mean, his lyrics are all about satanic stuff. Exactly. In the same way that in some ways, I guess like part of me almost considers Morbid Angel and stuff like that more black metal than death metal, but Yeah, totally. Yeah. I agree. So it's like, yeah, you know, it's one of those things where like when I did my death metal list, like I put all those bands even though I kinda consider them more black metal, just because yeah. I was like I wanted to keep them I was like, Well, it just makes it easier for me to talk about the black metal stuff that I want to talk about because it would be really hard if I was trying to do a black metal list and adding like Morbid Angel and stuff to it, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, while you wouldn't be wrong, it's sort of, yeah, they are essentially a death metal band, but lyrically, I don't know. I guess it comes back down to that old thing about the attitude of the band as opposed to the sound. Yeah, and I mean, Morbid Angel, big influence on black metal. I mean, how many of those particularly those Norwegian bands are like, I mean, Emperor ended up just ripping off Morbid Angel pretty much 100% on their later stuff, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, like, or even Immortal. Like, I mean, so many of those bands are obviously very influenced by Morbid Angel, and I know Deicide was, like, basically considered a black metal band back then by even, even, um, I know that uh, even Glenn Benton kind of, like, kind of positioned himself as more of a black metal, Mm. you know? Like, yeah, even like Hypocrisy when they first come out, Peter was said that we're really a black metal band, not a death metal band. Yeah, so you know, yeah, like so. But for me, like when I was doing my list, I was like, I'm just gonna put these in my death metal list just because then I could do all you know, have it be a bit more, uh, be able to talk about more bands I want to talk about, you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Everyone knows Morbid Angel. Yeah, I was just like, I didn't want to have to cram them into my black metal list as well because it was already hard enough to do a top 20 black metal. Yeah, I understand that that 100%. Yeah, yeah. or even like Akron, which was my death metal list. I mean, I consider them black metal, you know? Yeah, they're more of a black metal. Really rise of the black mass, like classic, Mm. classic. And I've always considered a black metal album, but... Yeah, there was a band in Australia called Acheron as well, a Melbourne band. Oh, really? And they ended up changing their name. I think they did an e- uh, a 7-inch, and then they changed their name to a Bremelin. Oh, okay, I know a Bremelin. I've heard of, Bre- of a Bremelin. Mm. They're pretty, like, kind of more famous. No, I don't know famous is the right word, but, you know, I've heard of them. You know what I mean? I know who they are. Yeah. They were originally called Acheron as well, yeah. Okay, but I guess because of the that. band in America, yeah. Yeah, that happens. I mean, <laughs> there's certain band names where you go on Metal Archives, there's like 20 bands with the same name. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
just gotta like this to go okay this one's this band but it's like from a different country <laughs> yeah it's getting harder and harder to come up with band names that's for sure yeah it can be very difficult People just need to be more creative yeah just don't do like a fucking sentence for a band name though i don't uh, that that cries out that you're you know in the metalcore <laughs> yeah i'm not into that no way yeah we don't need that we don't need a whole sentence or a band name no <laughs> nah i think i like one name bands like just one word but i mean it depends on the band i guess yeah, generally i like i like one word maybe two mm. words you know like that's that's what i like for a band name you know if you think about it like most of the classic bands you know it's one name one word or or maybe two or at most three you know yeah not like that's usually like cult of fire or something like that you know what i mean <laughs> yeah thou art lord you know <laughs> yeah like this i think i think three three words is about the max for a band in my opinion and the middle words always got to be like you know a very short one yeah i just think it's, it's like makes more sense than having like some like ridiculous like sentence for a band name like Godspeed you Black Emperor or whatever they're called. Yeah, this one yeah, they're like post rock, but Yeah, I don't really I I've never even really heard them to be honest. They're pretty good, but yeah, it's definitely a you know, their band names like way too long. Yeah. I think yeah, they're like a prog band, are they? They're like a post rock band. Wow, okay, yeah. So it's uh they're pretty good. If you ever seen Twenty Eight Days Later? Yes. The like the music that's playing like when he's like running, like when he's like wandering around the city, and you hear that that kind of music that's playing, and then it slowly builds up, and then he like sees the the infected like in the church, and he's like running from them, and music's like building uh, this yeah. crescendo. That's yeah. that's Godspeed, Black Emperor. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty good music. I won't judge it until I've heard it. Yeah, the, uh, you know, there's but there's about a million black metal bands who arose trying to combine up black metal. <laughs> yeah, which I can't. I got just I don't like that very much. <laughs> no, we need to keep it pure. Yeah, I get tired of bands trying to like combine like post rock or shoegaze or whatever to black metal. You know. Black guys. Yeah, <laughs> that's. So uh, I mean, I kind of like that they call it black gaze because so they so they stop calling it black metal. You know what I mean? Let's keep it separate. Yeah. You call it call your bullshit that it's not black metal. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yep. Hundred percent. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on again. I'm looking forward to our next one as well. Yeah, cool. That'd be good. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. And uh, always a pleasure talking to you, brother. Yeah, you too. Thanks again for having me on. I appreciate the time. And, yeah, I've enjoyed uh, listening back to some of the recent episodes you've done with other guests. It's always been a pleasure to listen to on the way to work. (laughs) That's great. Yeah, I'm glad glad that that you listen and people people like it. (laughs) Yeah. All right, not a problem. Yeah.
Awesome, man. Well, have a good rest of your day. Thank you very much. I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you later.